It's the evening of May 31st, 2023, and you're listening to the Combing the Stacks music podcast. We are available on our home platform, Spotify for Podcasters, by searching for Combing the Stacks music podcast. You can search out individual reviews on YouTube by searching Combing the Stacks music podcast. Spotify playlists, same tag, as well as Josh's Movie Corner. Um, is also, uh, and all of his materials are going to be on Letterboxd by searching Combing the Stacks Music Podcast. So lots and lots of good stuff there. Um, it's a cold listen hot take this week, which means that we listen to an album. It used to be once, but now as many times as needed, but we don't do a full bio this week. We instead do a uh, simply basically a, a uh, reaction slash discussion on the album. I am John, joined as always by Matt and Josh. Matt, how are you, bud? Sorry, sorry, I was muted. Uh, okay. I'm doing well, fellas. How are I? I uh, yeah, it's getting warm. It's summer. It's officially summer Unofficial? in my book. Yeah. It's going to be June tomorrow. I think June should be June 1st should be summer. I don't know why it's June 21st. It probably has something to do with the solstice, You're but whatever. It's, yes, it's the sun and the Earth's rotation. <laughs> yeah, well, I say June 1st because it's it's more linear that way so much like Happy. what are you like zeus or ra and newt or other like godlike figures who just declare seasons cycles yeah let's do that sure i, I could be a god yeah i could be i'd, I'd be a horse per- i'd be a pretty good god i think i'd make good decisions where do you stand on that where do you stand on that josh would you trust uh matt as your lord and savior I would say power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. 
<laughs> so yeah, we don't want you like what is what was Zeus doing like raping horses that were women, you know, along the way. So we'll I'm gonna be yeah. I'm gonna be an mm-hmm. anti-raping god. Okay, great. good, good, true, truly good stance there. Mm-hmm. Right. So how about you, Josh? I assume you're also on the the side of anti-rape. Yeah, always. Yes. <laughs> Let's just get on the record there for the listeners to see where we stand completely. Yeah, we've been on here for almost three years, and we haven't really developed. We haven't really solidified. I think we need to position. put that. We need to write that in in red marker of where we stand on that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, going. Things are going well. Uh, what's new in my world? Oh, I've ordered a new mattress. That is a big. Big deal. High ticket. You need item. to hold out until somebody sponsors us, and then you can <laughs> go into it. When yeah. I need to sleep cold. Yeah. I got a I got a promo code and uh, <laughs> what would our uh, promo code code be? CTS. <laughs> CTS. Okay, gotcha. I want something funnier. Or Buzz, I guess. Bzz. And and uh, yeah, so it's been like you know over a decade since since our last mattress, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it is a game changer. Did you get? Oh, what'd you say, Matt? Or is it like just you rolling the dice? Or did you get to try it? Rolling the dice? No, no, you get a. Rolling the dice, but it's a hundred day trial period for free, and they'll take it back if okay. you don't like it. Like, do you, are there people that don't figure out their decision to like day seventy two? That seems like a <laughs> long period of time to like right. hold out judgment on it. I feel like um, all I need is two weeks. Yeah, I mean, they said you should give it like thirty days, um, realistically, to get used to it. So I guess if you know, if you don't know by then, and uh, is it firm or soft, Josh? It's a hybrid, so it's memory foam okay. and springs. So we'll say mm. it's. I'm a side sleeper, revealing a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Although I read most people are side sleepers, uh, so it's. You know, That's it's a, considered a lot of information. How you yeah. sleep? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't use it against me. That's and, a rare uh, form of self-disclosure. <laughs> I would be comfortable sharing my sleeping style. Yeah. Yep. Josh so, is just worried that like if, if people know too much about his sleeping habits, they're gonna they'll make it easier for them to plot his murder while he's sleeping. Mm. Okay. Oh, so they'll know well, what direction I'm a light to come sleeper, from. So I would wake up. And yeah, it's happening. <laughs> Not if it's a ninja. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. All we need to know now is apparently like, does Josh like it cold? And if he if he wears pants when he goes to sleep right now, so some things will have to stay mysterious in the I'm CTS the world. Patron mm-hmm. saint of light sleepers. In the uh, sex mansion that is Josh's house. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's so. all it's new. No, nothing music related, unfortunately. Well, we'll have a well-rested Josh. In upcoming weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, Matt sort of came with just a I'm okay. So basically, a <laughs> you like summer basic a basic <laughs> B a basic B summer summer vibes. And Jimmy I'm Buffett, a god. Dave apparently. Matthews Band fan like level <laughs> Matt like right now. I, I do like early Dave Matthews Band. I will say I, I am a mm-hmm. I'm a first three album Dave Matthews Band. Well, save fan. that take for for uh, five oh, years shoot. and. Several seasons from now, so yeah. Have you yep. seen all the articles? Or there's a book out recently about Steely Dan. I know we love talking about Steely Dan. Yeah, I've, I've seen a couple of them. Like why yeah. Steely Dan is now I... a, the, the cool band amongst <laughs> right. like Gen Z or whatever. It's yeah, funny you brought that, that up because we actually uh, one of our listeners, Marvin, who comments on our our posts, Marvin I told Barry? him that. Yeah, no, no, Marvin, no, no. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> no, Marvin, who comments on our posts. So if you're listening, Marvin, hello, um, and to um. He mentioned that he's kind of come around on Steely Dan, but he is also a member of what we would call Gen Z in this era, age-wise. And I kind of explained that we've had many different takes where we've surprised ourselves, but we all kind of came in lukewarm on Steely Dan. And I feel like while we've changed so many things, we all kind of still left lukewarm on Steely Dan is kind of yeah. my, my take, all three of us. So it's the rare artist 
that all of us sort of have a uniform take on. Would you agree with that? Where it's sort of like, eh, they're all right, but I don't quite get it. And it kind of mystifies me that Steely Dan I, is. Yeah. Yes and no. I will say that I came out of the, the Steely Dan albums liking them more than when I went in. Um, but yeah, it's But still you kind of hated something. them when going in, right? Yeah, it was, it was a little bit more like what I, you know, but that was more of like, I, I don't get it. Like everybody talks about how great they are. I don't get it. So I hate them more. Um, but I think I, I they, they grew on me a little bit. But yeah, it's still not, I'm not like a thumbs up on them or what. I, I like, I don't think I'm going to go out and just voluntarily listen to a Steely Dan album anytime soon. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same way, if I recall. I think I liked Gaucho or whatever that last bonus album that we talked about was. Um, I like the first it was album, the best, actually. Yeah. The one with all the hits before they became cool. Can't Buy a Dan. Thrill, right? Because yeah, we covered my... Can't Buy a Thrill, yeah. Asia, and Gaucho. We basically did like every five years, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was like 72 and then Asia was like 77-ish, right? And then Gaucho was like 81 or 82, if I remember. So we checked in every five years on uh so what do you let's let's be predictors let's be tastemakers what is the what's the next band that's gonna become like secretly cool like steely dan okay so like somebody who was universally uncool and then so so, because there's been a lot of them right it's like uh like recently like journey is a good example to me of a band that was hopelessly uncool until they suddenly got cool and steely dan uh fleetwood mac Right is another one that I don't think was ever considered cool. Right, they were popular but not yeah. cool, and they had a moment. So it would have to be somebody from like all of those bands. Right, were like seventies bands. Right. So it'd probably have to be an eighties band that was considered very uncool, only to like. And the eighties is tougher because you've got stuff that was really popular, but yeah like didn't have the cool i guess it's got to be from that vibe right like well, who you, was you know who yeah. it is for me huey lewis and the news uh that's not the best <laughs> that's not the worst plus hall and oats you know what i mean maybe hall and Oates is always I well it kind of happened with that. phil collins yeah. too right like yeah. phil collins became like a thing where like phil a collins bunch of Genesis? reactor people no like phil collins like all the reactors right oh, were like acting yeah. like they'd pretend that they'd never heard like electric drums before and then they'd all be like yo man like this is incredible like listening to and it's like come on man we we've seen i think hollow notes is a good answer actually because i've actually started hearing stuff about like just in the just here and there like i'm somebody on a podcast or i got a friend that started getting a little bit more into them so i just that'd be the first time matt's ever complimented me i'm gonna (laughs) ride with that right there yeah Mm -hmm. yeah all right, let's so I'm also trying to think of like early 90s or like 90s bands that were yeah. hopelessly uncool only to like you Dishwalla. know become cool like <laughs> like Everclear or somebody like you know what I mean where it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah. just I'm trying to, like 311 like I'm trying to think of oh, bands God. that like yeah so who knows maybe that's the next lane I, I, it's going to be harder with, with 90s bands because those bands I still hate so I can't see myself changing my mind on them but you're not the person who would be that right, right? Exactly. it's when the next young generation yeah. comes yeah so it'd have to be somebody who's like currently like 12 who like <laughs> later is like you know who's fucking fantastic e6 yeah <laughs> fastball is all right i wouldn't lump fastball and no, the yeah. they're not yeah they're not worse than i mean we'll talk about this down the road but i can't wait to get that he's like i am curious like john's it? okay yeah. with fastball but not okay with semi-sonic it's like it's the same yes. band <laughs> No, the, the well, probably most of Fastball's catalog I wouldn't like, but The Way is a much better song than 
than yeah. closing time is, in my mm. humble opinion. That's really, and that's the extent of like what I need to know <laughs> about both of them. You know, like there's just a lot of bands where it's like, you know, like I know Eve Six as like Inside Out Band or like Stroke Nine as Little Black Backpack Band. You know, I, I don't know these like, oh, you know, Harvey Danger, right? As like Flagpole Sitta. You know, these are not bands that I'm like, oh, I wonder what their catalog's like. Cause I'm like, I, none of this stuff ever made me want to check them out in greater depth and that was to me the late 90s well rock. I, I mean to, i don't think it's going to be any band that was a one-hit wonder because it seems like all the bands that we've named previously have more than one hit too you know like Fleet right Mac well steely and, dan had a bunch of hits Oates and stuff yeah and, exactly so it's not going to be somebody's like hey the rest of their album is actually good it's going to be like no they're you know but they have to be been... uncool too and a lot of the groups we said yeah. weren't necessarily uncool like i'm trying Bare to naked ladies yeah, like, is it bare naked? I mean, nerd culture is kind of, like, now mainstream, which I mean, to me it... is oxymoronic <laughs> because nerd culture is defined by not being cool culture. So when, like, nerd culture becomes cool, like, what is that, you know? Yeah, yeah so. Don't look now, boys, but I think we're in the, I think we're right in the heart of a uh, essential question segment. Yeah, sure. Maybe just threw in an essential question along the way. Well, anyway... No. We'll save that for another time. That would yep. be a good one. I, I like that we're there. But we got a lot of freaking albums to cover tonight and a buzz clip. So why don't we run down the albums first so that people can figure out how long in the three hours we're going to go tonight that they want to <laughs> listen to. So, Matt, do you want to run down the albums we're covering tonight as well as the buzz clip? Yeah, we're going to um, we're gonna kick things off album-wise tonight with the Fine Young Cannibals with their album The Raw and the Cooked. We're going to follow that up by Nana Cherry. Uh, or is it Nana Cherry? We have to we have to solve that issue. Uh, her album Raw Like Sushi, which I believe is their debut album. Terrence Trent Darby with his record Introducing the Hardline, according to Terrence Trent Darby. Um, and uh, that's actually the only album. We're actually going a little bit back into the past. That's an album from 1987. The rest of these are from 89. Um, then we're going to be covering The Blue Nile with their it album a, Hats. It is Nana. Yeah, it is Nena. The pronunciation. Yep, it is N E H hyphen N U H. So that to Nena. me is Nena. Nena. Yep, Nena yep. Cherry. In two okay. syllables, so Nena. Yep, Nena. Thank you, John. Uh, and then we're gonna the penultimate album tonight will be New York New Order's Technique, and the final record will be Lou Reed with his record New York, and the what's the. Uh, Oh, we're going to be covering Wire, the uh, the buzz clip. I guess that's what we're going to go into right now. Mm-hmm. Eardrum with, Buzz. Uh, Eardrum Buzz by Wire. Enter into the buzz. buzz. Correct. So Wire, a band that we have only covered once, yeah. way back in 1977, we covered their debut album. Do you guys remember the name of the album? Pink Flag. Pink Flag, yep. And it's a... Uh, it ran together a little bit for me because I remember after listening to that album, which by the way, in case you remember, I had as the second best album of the 70s mm-hmm. on my personal list. I went on a little bit of a wire in the 70s binge because I was enjoying them. So I listened to the albums pretty much directly after it, which one of them was called Chairs Missing uh, and the other was called 154. And they were released very quickly within each other you know pink flag was 77 chairs missing was 78 and then 154 uh was 79 so they did a lot of those and they actually split in 1979 
and they were was not a band. And actually, between eighty one through eighty five, they did not perform. They just did solo projects and stuff like that. So they reformed in nineteen eighty five, and the new version of Wire was much more of an electronic act. Would be kind of how they would be described. And this takes us to like nineteen eighty eight, which is where this album is from. Um, one thing notable also about Wire and doing a little bit of a read through is they, w- they no longer performed any of their older material live oh. <laughs> when they came back in 85, it was like, they were not, Fresh pre- they were not. Yep. So it was only when they were doing stuff, it was there. And that was kind of a thing that they, um, they kind of prodded themselves on a little bit, but yeah, that that's, I, I can were... go into more and I can add in some context and some color, but just so you get an idea of like where we're at in the band. And they were considered a foundational post-punk band back in the late 70s, right? That's what they were classified as. Yes, and they were sort of the seminal post-punk band, but also a critic darling would be another way to describe it. So that is kind of where we're at. So let's do the thing that we normally do on these buzz clips. We're going to skip, like, are you familiar with Wire? Because we already established in the seventies that all of us were not at the time. And then we all became familiar with pink flag. I will though, for listeners that may not have been listening to us back in season two, or might've missed that episode. You heard my take on Wire. I was extremely high on pink flag. Do you guys want to give a little bit of a insight as to what your takes were on Wire? Yeah, I I remember really liking it, and uh, hearing hearing the influence that they that they had, it seemed like they a lot of other bands picked up on their sound, and I remember them being kind of sparse sounding, but also just like really interesting and eclectic in in their um, on that album. Yes, it was described as amphetamine paste was how it was described <laughs> in, in one review I remember reading when that was there. So. Yeah, I, um, I remember that... liking it. I don't think I liked it as much as you guys. I think one of the things I, I disliked about it, if memory serves, there were a lot of tracks that were all very oh, short. 20, 21 yeah. to be yeah, exact. Yeah, so yep. mm-hmm. I think my I think part of my reaction was it was hard for me to kind of get a sense of like what each song okay, it was it was just over so quick and then it was on to the next one. So it wasn't it was almost too ju- easily digestible, right? Yeah. Where I, I would I would have liked some of the songs to go a little bit longer, maybe cut some of the other stuff out, but generally speaking I liked it. That's an interesting term, easily digestible, because in size of clip, it might have been easily digestible. But I felt there was a, it was a very um, eclectic, eclectic album. And from that, it wasn't right. easy to digest as a piece of work, I felt. But if you're no, looking they, at it, but it's like the individual songs, Pac-Man. yeah, right. No, the individual songs were like, OK, like you could. But when you just pack them back to back to back to back and you mix up, it was a lot going on and it was, it was just hard to kind of exactly figure out what was going on. So I struggled a little bit with it, but generally, you know, the music was, I remember, I don't remember disliking the music, I, you know, so, and there were some cool parts in there. I remember that's where I found out that they, uh, that Elastica ripped them off for, for that riff that they had for their biggest song. Um, right. I think we're going to cover them later on too. So yeah. So yeah. So mm-hmm. I liked it. Yep. So that gives a little bit of a background. Were either of you familiar with the song Eardrum Buzz? No, I had not heard this before. Okay. So I I had not either. I was not familiar with this. Like I said, Wire really was a clean sheet when I got them Mm -hmm. in 77. And so this is a little bit later. So, okay. So that establishes our working knowledge of this. As I mentioned before, this comes off the album um, from 1988. It's beginning to 
and back is the name of this album and back again excuse me it's beginning to and back again which is a interesting name for an album um it started as a collection of live recordings and then it sort of became a compilation album so that is the album this is coming off of um i will not say that i i have not listened to the album in entirety just this song for it so that's the context of where i stand uh personally but let's go into like what'd you think about this because that's really what people want to know um josh uh we usually describe it a little bit and then mm -hmm. ask say whether we'll put it in our buzz bin or not yeah it's definitely it the electronic part is definitely there there there's some synths and and keyboards in play and but it still is kind of a a sparse sounding song i think there's their core you know dna is still there in in ear eardrum buzz but this is a it's a pretty catchy song i i found myself uh listening to it multiple times and and then afterwards singing <laughs> continuing to sing the chorus um they're doing some interesting things incorporating kind of like a it's like an audio effect of like almost like a monster or like a really low voice saying um, uh, buzz in the background at times on the track, which I thought was effective. And um, it's got this kind of not staticky, but it's got a it's got a pretty fast pace to it as well, um, frenetic sounding. And I think it's playing on. Uh, on the title of the track and and they continue to continue to uh, impress impress me okay so does it get into your buzz bin oh uh, yeah definitely i really like and this one. and would it make you want to listen to all or most of it's beginning to and back again yes i think coupled you know with knowing where they came from i would be interested to hear what their spin on like electronic music is. So yeah, I, I, I am curious about this album. Okay. So high praise from Josh, uh, Matt, does it rise to that level for you? I liked it too. I thought it was a, um, a different, a, a definite change of pace from pink, pink flag. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I would call it sparse though. I mean, there's a baseline that's just basically kind of ripping through the whole, whole track mm -hmm. kind of like the bass has kind of stood out to me more yeah like kind of like a walking maybe even galloping bass line that's um that kind of permeates the song and then the synths are synths are a little bit secondary uh to me because i think the bass and the drums kind of stand out a little bit more but yeah it's definitely more of a dance track um you know kind of in line it with is, some of yeah. the stuff bring tonight all you know it's it's got a little bit of a new order vibe to it as well um you know so i uh yeah, and it's kind of just it's the video. Did you, I don't know if you guys watched oh, the video, I but to watch the video. yeah, I did. Actually, yep. actually, I almost um, I am I I totally forgot about the buzz clip until about two hours ago. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I gotta I gotta listen to this a couple of times and then um, watch the video. So I did watch the video, and it's you know it's kind of they're kind of goofy. There's a lot of people like plugging their 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 fingers in their in their ears, mm. mimicking the the buzzing in their ear. They're kind of like on a stage, and there's like there's it's almost like like in a theater of some sort and they're just kind of just performing and, and whatnot. So, well, but yeah, remember, I, this I, is a live clip, I believe, because this album is described as a live album. Um, but so it's, it's, what they'll, so well, they're performing live. Here is, how it's described here is they say performance recordings were stripped down in the studio, sometimes to a drum beat or a bass line, which was then used as the starting point for rebuilding the track. 
And they right, said but, it the, is one but of, the video, yeah. they're not performing the no, song. No, right, the video, like, right, no. Okay, but yeah. The song itself, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, I, it was it was good. I, I liked it. The more, I li- probably listened to it about three times. I liked it the more I listened to it, and I mm-hmm. it would make me interested to listen to the record, and I would put it in my buzz bin. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I'm going to add this to my buzz bin as well. Um, there's a frantic nature to this song that yeah. comes from that synth line that and the monster sounds. It's sort of... Um, I, I was trying to figure out the connection with the concept of eardrum buzz. And all I could think of was that it kind of sounds in your headphones like an eardrum buzz, you know, like that's yeah. kind of the sound that's that's going on. So I think that might have been what they were going for. But there's sort of a frantic synth. And then, as Matt mentioned, there's a galloping is a good way to put it. Galloping baseline that's like the heartbeat of the song. It just runs through it. It's like the beating heart while the um, so you've got the heartbeat and then the synth almost felt like um your heart spiking with energy like or you're getting anxious or scared of something and then the the vocals are like in the electronic music right a much more monotonous vocal like mm-hmm. a uh and uh, what would I, what would be the term for um the singing style sort of um kind of monotone it's british monotone yeah would be a good way to put it but then he does raise the level up to meet the chorus it has yeah. like buzz buzz and then he goes back to meet the bass line. So he's kind of singing depending on if the synth's there or not. But um, very different than what Wire was in the late 70s when they were very much a band, albeit one that was doing sort of avant-garde stuff, albeit different avant-garde because it's very short, right? And most avant-garde I think of as being long form. But this is clearly like, it's like, all right, we put five to six years a break. We did some different stuff. And now we want to kind of recreate ourselves as a different band with, an electronic or a tinker's mind on stuff. And that seems to be where we find them in this stage of their career. And uh, I'm here for it. And I'm not always an electronic music guy, but I found this to be a much more intriguing uh, electronic song, the most electronic music of this era we've covered. So, uh, and it definitely made me, Josh, um, intrigued to hear the rest of this album. In fact, it's something that when time presents, I'm going to go, which is, it shares with, Pink Flag, which led me to listen voluntarily to 154 and Chairs Missing on my own, both of which I also loved. Uh, but they were very different albums than Pink Flag. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they're a group that, re- at least in the four album or three albums I've listened to and now this song, it seems like one of their things is sleight of hand. Just when you think you've got them figured out, they kind of go in a different direction. So uh, I heard this album uh, compared a lot to the magazine album, Real Life, which I thought was an interesting comparison. Um, I didn't see it totally, but they sound it like magazine. But magazine felt more like a post-punk band than this. So uh, I wonder then if magazine's evolution was similar to Wire's. So That was a good record. You're, yeah, saying, some... you're saying this, this uh, album that this track is on? Yeah, the group, the group wire is often compared to magazine Hmm. and like you could see it with chairs missing in real life, right? There were some similarities there, but I'm curious to see if the magazine of this era was doing the same thing wire was exploring, um, exploring electronic Electronic music. music. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. magazine's still around at this point. We haven't talked about them in a while. No, we haven't in a long, and I, I don't, I just, I, I didn't hear the albums compared directly. I just saw the band compared to that. And I'm like, well, if you're comparing them to that, then it has to, one of the elements has to be that they change their sound consistently because that's a hallmark of wire. Right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, this one, this one gets into the bin for me and nice. meets the criteria. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I'd say I'd say whoever's picking these clips at MTV back in the day is doing a pretty good job of keeping things interesting. Well, they're yeah, they're picking interesting clips, and you can see. And also, by the way, uh, a lot of these songs didn't necessarily hit the mainstream. They right. kind of stayed underground, so that's really stood out to mm-hmm. me as well. That maybe they figured out the A and R portion of it a lot better. It seems more like this is just somebody curating a playlist and going, "Here's what I'm listening to right now." So yeah, I'll be interested to see how as we go on how many more kind of bands or songs you know rise up to more mass appeal, well, I guess, or something. And in fairness, a lot of the songs that did rise to mass appeal we've covered on albums mm. oh, in right, this. Right. So I think that also describe some of it these are the songs that were not on albums that rose to the level of becoming the 300 albums we covered in the 80s so -hmm. that takes a lot of the critical darlings the high selling stuff off and so that might also explain why Mm -hmm. yep so okay buzzbin is done for the week and now we are into the cold listen hot take portion of the show i believe that matt has the first take followed by josh and myself for this one, and then we'll go Josh on the first take, and me. I, no, I, I think wrong? Josh. I think Josh has the first take on this one. What? Forget um, everything I just said, right? Forget there. what Josh John said. Yeah. Josh, but don't me, forget John. Matt's numbers because I won't forget right Matt's. Now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have them right here. So the Raw and the Cook by the Fine Young Cannibals comes in at number seven hundred seventy-nine in the nineteen eighties on Best Ever Albums. Number seventy-four in nineteen eighty-eight. Number five thousand one hundred ninety-five of all time. It's the fine and uh, it's the fine young cannibals highest rated album on best ever albums, and it's not on Rolling Stones list, and they rank as the number two thousand three hundred eighty seventh highest rated band in best ever albums. And before Josh gets into it, can I give a little origin story on the fine young cannibals that I was aware of, but I was reminded of this week? Yeah, I'm curious because I didn't look up anything yeah. about them. So, so the fine young cannibals were two members there were four members of the group the english beat remember the english oh, beat two-tone ska okay, guys well now or so just two, the two, beat if you're in england just the correct beat, right so two members of the english beat uh the one lead singer and then rankin roger right the guy who was the toaster and stuff they broke off to form the band general public now do you remember general public's big song even if you don't know what it is you'll know the song I don't know. No. So <clears throat> General Public's big song in the States was the song Tenderness. Do you remember that song? Tenderness. Oh, tenderness. No? no. Doesn't? No. It was like an 80s movie. You, really? Wow. I'm surprised you guys don't know that one. I feel like if you listen to it, no, you I have to that song yeah. well. Yeah. Tenderness. So anyway, yes, Tenderness by Matt's General. Do you have it. Matt's playing it right now? So <laughs> play it so that maybe our listeners can listen to it through your thing, Matt. Yeah. Oh, yes, I know it. I know yes. it very, very Yes, I was going to say, I'm shocked you guys don't know this. Matt, do you know that? I don't know. You don't know that song? That song's in like every movie ever, I feel like. I think I probably thought it was like a Cure song or something. It, I mean, it has Cure elements for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's got 80s hope. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, it's basically, you're hearing ranking. Yeah, so the, the two singers of the English beat went with that with other musicians, right? And they became general public. So they kind of left the other two guys behind. And those guys went about trying to start a band. And then they basically recruited the lead singer for this band. And the two members of the English Beat, along with the lead singer, became the Fine Young Cannibals, who did a grand total of... Rolling something. Rolling. And they did an album before this, and the Rolling the Cook, and then they didn't do any more albums afterwards so the english beat who had a pretty significant career in the uk 
right? And then their third album, the one that did the worst in the UK, did the best in the US, right? That was the one with um, <laughs> Save It For Later, right? That was the big hit off of that. And then they've spun off these other two bands. So yeah, the, the lineage of Two-Tone Ska lives on here, guys, in yeah. The Fine Young Cannibals. So I did think I'd share that because I thought that was a very interesting story. Yeah, th- thanks, because some of my notes indicate <laughs> kind of ska elements to to some of their songs, especially... Well, there you go. Yeah, especially A Good Thing, which I didn't know was Fine Young Cannibals, but that kind of remind is like a throwback and kind of reminded me of something that maybe the Madness or Stray Cats would do. It's like a 50s or 60s sound, yeah. too, a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I didn't know anything about them besides She Drives Me Crazy which it, and Good Thing, which is... You know, she drives me crazy. Is clearly the most recognized song, and I would say, I would say a lot of people would would know that song if you heard it. Uh, this this album overall impressed me. It was it was surprisingly kind of retro sounding overall, um, intentionally I think, obviously. And there's some elements of of soul in here. The singer I think um, harnesses kind of Sam Cooke and and that era of singers in his voice all music describes him as looking like Sidney Portier but sounding like Otis Redding oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah Otis Redding is definitely a, a corollary also and um and and the songs you know he's kind of got a falsetto voice at times I don't know if it's a falsetto but it gets it gets pretty high I think and then other um kind of hallmarks that stood out there's a song on here called don't look back that reminded me of a elvis costello song could be and then um don't let it get you down i think the fine young cannibals singer kind of sounds like the lead singer of tv on the radio also at times um don't let me don't let it get you down is what reminded me of that um they incorporate the drum machine um frequently especially on a song like i'm not satisfied they're is that a, the last track ever fallen in love? Is that a cover? Um, I That's swear a Buzzcock I... song. Okay. <laughs> Did yeah. we cover that? That's the album? Buzzcocks. Oh, yeah. Singles Going Steady. We covered okay. that album. No yeah. wonder. Also, m- more modern people might know that because there's a sequence in Shrek where that song gets covered <laughs> oh, as right. well. But for me, I'm a huge Buzzcocks guy. And yeah, that's yeah. a direct lineage cover right there. Yeah. Yep. So, again, t- kind of back to that that ska and, and british britishness but yeah it's it's like a british take on almost like doo-wop at times or or that 60s motown and with ska elements thrown in depending on the song and i i really enjoyed it i was impressed by it i, I feel like it the overall album you know she drives me crazy it's such a kind of standout song and singular and i feel like the rest of the songs on this album um were comparatively high and and kind of live up equivalent to to that track so yeah it was a it was a thumbs up for me i I thought it was great yeah so i so this goes back to this is my dad's album like one of the five cds that my dad ever owned uh which (laughs) oddly enough my mom was a big fan of this album too matt for reference okay I, but it's funny because I thought I was going to be because I knew the hits. I knew she drives me crazy. Good thing, and I'm not the man I used to be. Those were the those were the main singles that I recalled. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of this, I I don't really remember hearing a lot of these other songs. So I don't I don't know if it's just because of me or maybe my dad just played the first three <laughs> songs and then that was it. Like, that which is crazy. entirely possible. 
So uh, I might have to talk to him. About, like, he probably doesn't even remember. He probably was like, who are the fine young cannibals? Like, if I asked him about that right now, he probably would be like, who are they? So, um, but, uh, so yeah, and, and I remember particularly she drives me crazy and good thing. We're, we're pretty ubiquitous on MTV as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty standout uh, single track. So, so um, I, I've always found it's Roland Gift, by the way, that's the lead singer's um, name. And he, I've always found his voice very interesting and, and it's def Yes, Josh, it is falsetto in, in a number of places. Um, and, uh, and he's just got this weird kind of, it's like this distinct, you know, tone that he throws in it. This, this weird, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a little bit of a wah wah pedal on his voice, <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, but it's it's cool. He's got I, I like his voice. He's he's an interesting looking guy. I remember on the the videos and stuff. It's like he's like it's like man. He seems like it seems like he's every race. You know, he just seems like he's got a little bit of everything. He's like a really <laughs> yeah. unique looking guy um, with a really unique look. That's uh, a good voice. way to put it. Yeah, that's a good way to put um, it. Yeah. So, uh, but I I was really surprised with the rest of this of this record. I did like kind of the. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 the soul fifties do up definitely good thing. I don't hear much ska in here. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just blind or, or deaf to it, but, um, I, I, am not really getting much stuff. The good thing to me is, is, is more of a fifties kind of doo wop type well, song. Tell, tell me what has a little bit of the feel, but it also has like doo wop in it. Yeah. So it's a mix of both. Yeah. Tell me, yeah. See, tell me what it, I actually, when I first heard that, I thought it was a cover. I'm like, okay, who sang this originally? Because it sounds like a '50s song, you know, yeah. um, and that that's not a cover, you know. It's like, okay, um, and uh, I that's kind of like a '90s, early '90s pop alt rock, you know, song that was very, you know, well put together and very, very, very catchy. Um, I I thought that "Ever Fall in Love" the the, the Buzzcocks uh, yeah, that was an interesting. Uh, song for me to get through because initially I was like, ah, this didn't need to be done because I like the Buzzcocks version so much. Right. Yeah. Um, but the more I listened to it, the more I appreciated their their kind of take on it, and uh, you know, kind of the little bit more, a little bit more of a staccato kind of. Um, see, that was a little bit that's that's a little bit more sparse. There's 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 they're not filling in all the gaps on that song. They're kind of like letting it breathe a little bit. But um, mm-hmm. but I did I did really like that. So, uh, yeah, this was a I, I was. I like this more than I thought I was going to going into it. And I really like getting back into she, I mean, she drives me crazy and good thing are really good. Um, really good singles, really good pop songs. And, um, I can't, I can't hear that song and not think of the, the guys jumping on the video. Remember that the two guys like, like doing leapfrog yeah. or whatever and on the, the weird video. suits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the they one like, guy with like, the big arms and the legs like going in yeah. every direction. Yeah. Yeah. One guy would jump in front of the other and then the other guy would catch up and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, um, I, and I'm was this John? Was, was this on? Um, like where did? I don't think this was. On, I'm, I'm going through Rolling Stone right now, making sure I didn't screw up. But you, was this on a different? It was not. Or? This was. I just added this because we had yeah. to fill out some episodes. Got so it. I just went fishing around for albums that interested me, and I just yeah. tacked this one on. Yeah, yeah. So thumbs up for me. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely got the '80s sheen on it, right? The the, the synth production stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, as we've already established, I don't mind that. I mean, it it does. I guess. I guess it could suffer from sounding a little bit dated, but um, but I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. It does. It's it, it, it's not it's not a bad thing on this record for me. I never thought about if it sounded dated or not. I don't. I don't know. Hmm. There's parts of it where it, the yeah. little bit to me, like the synth, the drum machines, like kind of the synthetic nature is done in a way that's a very. It, it does sound yeah. like of its time a little bit to me. I think it's hard for me to say it's dated because a lot of what they're hearkening back to is like the 50s and 60s. <laughs> it's it's only yeah, but dated I'm, in the it's way not that stuff. It's more of the yeah, 
I know what you're um, saying, though. All 80s music, not yeah. all, but most, unless they go out of their way to reject it, has that. Oh, and maybe it's, I'm not, because that, that's kind of like the, that's got, you know what that sounds like, because they do the woo, woo, that sounds like, get off, get off, why can't you see, gotta go let the, yeah. I can't remember the words, woo, woo, <laughs> you just keep me hanging on. Yeah, it's it's oh, the yeah, same, yeah. it's got the same progression there, so it seems like it's like uh that's a very you 80s don't song too. Really so love me, you just keep me. That's an old school soul song originally. Is so, it really? Well, yeah. I it's, I was I, I know it for the 80s. Whoever did that, if it was like, I don't know. <laughs> well, a lot of was, soul but... stuff got remade in the 80s. Yeah, or the 80s very production. true. It was not as good as the original. But the, um, you're talking about the Supreme song. Yeah, it's the Supreme song original. Yeah, yeah, Written but it, by it's Holland so... Dozier Holland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, but it was exactly. <laughs> Man, was that done in the 80s? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. Go, well, John, remember, in take? the 80s, a lot of what used to happen was they would take the choruses from, like, Motown songs and they build a song around it, right? That's yeah. kind of, you know, like, I think of, like, Venus by Banana Rama yeah. and stuff like that. They're cruel, uh, what's it called? So uh, the, I heard the, it through the grapevine. The 80s the version Ocean. by Kim Wilde, apparently, who was an English singer also. Maybe yeah. that's oh. what you're thinking of. That's, yeah. that's, I think that's what I'm thinking of. They were remaking all those songs with, like, electronic sounds. Like, I think, of, like, The Locomotion was another one they made in that era. But anyway. It's funny you say that because I just saw that video <laughs> with, oh. with, with uh, her... <laughs> What's her name? Shoot, now I'm drawing a blank. Not Little Eva, right? That was the '60s one, but in the, no, the in Australian, the '80s, um, Kylie, Kylie Minogue. Minogue. Yeah, Kylie yeah. Minogue. Yeah, that was Minogue. I always say Minogue, but it's Minogue. Like we, that's yeah. all you have to do is say the Australian, the Australian, and we go Kylie Minogue, <laughs> the hot Australian, Kylie Minogue. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, or Natalie Imbruglia. It could be either either of those two answers are the ones you can give. So, yeah. or Michael Hutchins, I guess, depending on what your taste is. So yeah, but uh, I I agree almost entirely with Matt on this one. I remember hearing this album a lot, like in the cassette deck of my mom's car, but I only recognize three yeah. songs of it. So I don't know <laughs> if it just stayed there. I tuned it out, but Which is I weird think because what... they're good songs. Right. Oh no. I, I knew all of them. And I always liked those songs, but a lot of times we cover albums like this. I'm like, okay, I know those are around. I was shocked by the depth of this album. This mm-hmm. album had all kinds of good songs. Like as hard as it is, really was an excellent song at number nine. I, I There's just something about, like, the way he sang that song. is It's a ballad, for sure, and it's got that, like, ringing, that ringing sort of guitar part that really um, appealed to me and juxtaposed perfectly with Roland Giff's voice. Um, I love, like, I'm Not Satisfied and Don't Look Back and It's Okay, It's All Right are these, like, great pop songs. As Matt said, some of them almost sound like power pop like rock songs at different mm-hmm. times. Um, and in that case, you know, it does, it's not surprising because the English Beat became a pretty darn good power pop band um, by their third album when they kind of had divorced a little bit more from the ska. And like I, I said before, they're writing songs like Save It For Later. Do you guys, are you familiar with that song, Save It For Later? It was a pretty not by relatively uh, big not, not by name. Uh, I think it got covered by oh we actually it got covered by Harvey Danger of all people mm. <clears throat> in the '90s and it was not nearly as good a version but um, yeah no it's um you might recognize it but they were really writing very good pop songs um, as late as the '90s and if you remember that English Beat album which I was very high on it had songs like Near in the Bathroom and Stand oh, yeah. Down that Margaret and stuff like that that are like these great songs that are pop songs and so this is a little bit of the lineage of that sound but. I was shocked by how much I liked this album. Not because I was not expecting to enjoy it, but um, I didn't a thousand percent know 
what I was getting into. And I, I did not know that there was going to be such a 50s and 60s and soul influence yeah. on the music. And I, I think you just get so locked into what you think they're going to sound like from She Drives Me Crazy, which is its own thing, yes. that yep. you forget that like Good Thing is basically a manifestation of what the rest of this album was, which is a very retro, soul-ish song that sounds like, you know, that song, when you think about it, it sounds like a 50s or 60s song all the way down like to the woo-hoo-hoo, you know, like of the guy groups of the 60s, right? Like, it's it sounds like, he sounds like a a female... Motown or soul singer, right? But also the background guys sound like the the boy, the guy groups, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the Miracles or, you know, the Four Tops or the Temptations. And you're just yeah. like, oh gosh, yeah, that is a retro song. And I don't know if I totally processed it as a retro song. It's like, oh, that's one of the songs by the Fine Young Cannibals, right? And who are the Fine Young Cannibals? Well, they were like an 80s band that had a bunch of hits and then kind of disappeared. But, um, which actually is accurate because they only had two albums and then disappeared. Wait, so they never like went like, on to solo work or anything. No, wow. kind of. They just. I, I don't know if they had solo prep, but they didn't do anything else as the Fine Young Can. It, yeah. It's kind of like they never fully broke up. They just stopped. So, so yeah, this one gets a high recommendation for me. I really enjoyed this album. Yeah, same. So yeah, I'm um, trying to see if I'm trying to see if Roland Gift had. He had an album in 2002. That's a yeah, long time, so though, from 1988. <laughs> right. This album and was released in 88 in Britain and 89 in the U.S. He only had one solo album. Looks like he did an, some acting, Josh. Oh. Um, Roland so Gift, come I, on the pod. Talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> so what what <laughs> movies was Roland Gift in? Acting I, career, uh, Sammy and Rosie Get Laid. Out of order. <laughs> Is that a porno? Is <laughs> <laughs> that a Skinamax? Or, it sounds like a, either a Skinamax or a porno. It's a British film directed by Stephen Frears with a screenplay yeah, by... Stephen Frears is a famous director. Okay. Yeah. Hanif Karishi, um, screenplay. Uh, that was 87, so that, he, he did some acting before this record. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not recognizing some, any, any of the movies he's in. So he, he was, was like in Tin Men actor? With, by Barry Levins. He was in Tin Men, Josh. Yeah. Uh, actually wait a minute yeah, so I'm with that, though. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah he was appeared as a lounge singer in that so not as a real okay yeah so not much acting so he basically but... like sat out the 90s <laughs> like they're gonna let him happen his wikipedia kinda... his wikipedia for a guy that was in such a big like a band that was it's really sparse popular, it's yeah that there's like it's it's a couple of paragraphs basically i feel like we should google um, roland gift and there'd be like an article from like 2017 like catching up with roland gift you know what i mean <laughs> i feel like that would be where we'd have to look for something like that so yeah where are you roland gift <laughs> so yeah i will we'll do a little bit of a cleaning of the stacks right there figure out what he was doing but uh they may have only had those two albums but boy this one stands and this sold a shit ton of albums too um at the time so um, they probably could live off this album just yeah, he went out with on the a sales. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that was what they decided. They tapped out after that. So, But yeah, this one gets a, a pretty strong thumbs up from me. I really enjoyed this album. Yeah, same. I agree. Yep. And they were a very visual band, too. They're, as Matt said, their videos, both of them, Good Thing and She get, Drives Me Crazy, they had a striking visual presence, starting with him as a lead singer. I love that description of him being all the races, because that does describe it, because you're like... I can't quite put my finger on this guy. He's kind of yeah. mysterious, but also seems friendly, but also like, I don't know what his, he's got like a, like a jean jacket on, but also seems kind of arty. Like I can't figure out 
you know he's what's going on with him. Nothing. Everything and nothing at the <laughs> same time. He's a little time. bit of everything, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. So, yep. Okay. Album one in the books. We move to album number two. Matt, you both can introduce the numbers and take the first take. Go ahead. All right. So we got Nena Cherry's Raw Like Sushi from 1989. Comes in at number 618 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums. Number 56 in 1989. Number 4,122 of all time. It is Nena Cherry's highest rated album. And it's not on Rolling Stones list. And Nena Cherry's ranked number 2,080 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. So, uh, yeah. So I... Quick side note with Nena Cherry, when I I only knew her, didn't know her through her music at all, only knew her because when I was in, I think early in high school, maybe ninth grade or something like that, I, I got a subscription to Rolling Stone, and uh, she was on the cover of the first issue that I got. And I remember oh, it was kind of cool. was like, who the hell? Like, I was all excited to get Rolling Stone because my, my yeah. brother had it. I, I had gone through his issues and stuff, and I was like, oh, you know. And it, it was like this woman on it, and it was like in this really – I remember the cover being all like very – like a blue tint on it. And it was kind of a little out of focus, and I was like, who the hell is Netta Cherry? <laughs> and then it wasn't until later on that like that Buck Cherry came out, and I heard oh, that no. they were related. Really? Some they were like brother and sister, but I, and then I read it just this week, and they're actually half That cannot siblings. be correct. Are <laughs> they really? No, yeah, yeah, they're half siblings. That's yeah. a real thing? That's that Buck real, Cherry what? and Nena Cherry are? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wait, that, I would not have even connected name? them. Buck Cherry and Nena Cherry. Yeah, hang on. I thought you knew that, John. That can't be real. Like, no, I had no idea. I think it's, yeah, it's it's the I'm same. Is it Save the... Tonight? Who's the guy that does Save Tonight? Isn't that Eagle Buck Cherry? Cherry? That's Eagle, Eagle Eye Cherry. Cherry. Sorry. Buck Cherry's the lit up dudes that wrote, like, <laughs> basically debauched sex music. Right. <laughs> it's Eagle Eye Cherry. Sorry. That was We're not going to cut that. We're not going to cut that, Josh. No, we need to let that, that live in no, the world. Don't cut that. <laughs> no. That's our <laughs> amateur news, podcast coming news. through. I was just thinking. Eagle Eye Cherry, thank you. Thank you. That would have been the greatest shock ever that those two are. I was going, I was going. No, I swear to God, they're siblings. But it was the wrong. It was a different cherry. Buck Cherry. It would have been like if uh... if you thought like Prince and Nat King Cole were related. All right. I'm looking uh, at this Rolling Stone cover. I see what you're talking. You see about. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that was my introduction to Nana Cherry, and I never, I still, other than, and I, I didn't know any of the songs on this record, and I don't think I know any of her other songs. Like I haven't, so I, you know, so I wasn't sure what to get here. So this was a really, so I don't know, guys. Is this the first? This is like a fusion of 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 rap and like dance pop, and I don't know if we've come across. Like, because there's quite a quite a bit of rapping. On I think here. of it more like dance and R and B than I think of it as rap and. But dance. her, but she's but rapping. I, I guess is what I'm. But she's yeah, a she lot is. of the verses. She's, yeah. she's, yeah. She she yeah. she sings like half the song and she raps the other harp, other mm-hmm. part. And the rap isn't just like a couple of lines or whatever. It's like she goes she goes on for a while. So yeah. um so it's kind of an interesting, you know uh, melding of those of those things yeah. um and i don't i don't i'm, I'm sh- i think it was done more but i i don't recall hearing it quite like this in, in our run of albums that we've no, done we ha- so i don't think we've covered especially a female artist i don't think we've covered something like that yeah or even have we done even any f- female rappers <sighs> no we have not. no okay so yeah so there no, you go we'll there. do a few in the early 90s but we haven't gotten to it sure yet. so this is kind of like a first there so it's kind of interesting in that so um I, I think this was interesting for me because there are parts of this that I really liked. I was really taken in by the first track. Buffalo Stance has got a really, really cool, like, 
synth that thing that's synth happening. It's so in- that was, addictive. Yeah, and that I was, was like, a wow. massive hit. A massive yeah, hit. I, I can remember I, hearing that everywhere. Yeah. And I don't ever remember hearing it, but that's an interesting song because it starts off kind of just doing this like little beat kind of thing. It's like, okay. Yeah. And all of a sudden it kicks in. You're like, whoa. Like it just it just went to a different level. Like it just yeah. went from like a three to like a nine. You know, yeah. just like boom. And it just kicks in and it's got like it's it's really catchy. There's a lot of parts of this record that are just really catchy, really good dance songs, um, and uh, but it's also kind of like and then it, the second song, Manchild, kind of reminded me. There's there's a bunch of like artists from like it's almost like early two thousands, late nineties that kind of like Olive, Beth Orton. There's like I, I just remember some of these albums coming across my way. That's kind of got this. Uh, it's really hard. It's kind of like a mellow kind of synth it's not really a dance song it's kind of song but it's um it, it's it's just kind of like this it's like a chill wave kind of vibe thing that's happening and so there's some of that happening here which seems it's it seems 80s but it also seems like a resurgence that happened you know um 20 years later or, or you know uh maybe 10 10 or 15 years later i would say in some cases so um so you know i but and then there was like new jack swing that's kind of like peppered in throughout here mm-hmm. that, you know, some of like the beats that she was doing is like a new Jack swing thing. Um, and so I, I think I liked it overall. I just, I found it just interesting, um, you know, kind of feeling that there were definitely some beats and some songs on here that I liked, but also at the same time, kind of feeling like it was a little cheesy at times. Um, and I, I don't know if that's, if it's just like, cause the, if it's like a little bit of a time capsule that this is kind of represent, cause there's a lot of cheese and like late eighties, you know, you know, pop and, and R and B and stuff. So I was feeling a, like a little tinge of that here, uh, which I don't think overall took away from me liking the record, but it definitely, it, it probably took it down a, a little bit of a, a notch for me, but, um, but there's some really good pop stuff on here. And I, and I'm surprised it's not like I was totally in the dark about pop music or whatever. I knew a lot of it. I just, I don't ever remember hearing this. Right. You know, I don't remember this being on MTV or on the radio or anything or any friends that, you know, my sister that was, well, you weren't paying attention because Buffalo stance was all over MTV. Yeah. Like I, in my I, world. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, but, uh, so yeah, I thought that there, yeah. So I think generally I liked it. I'm, I don't think I'm like a high thumbs up. I think I'm a, like a, like a, moderate thumbs up on this record but yeah just interesting um kind of fusion of variety of variety of things i think is what my main takeaway was yeah i saw it reach number three on the on the billboard charts at one point mm-hmm. hot 100 and i think it was, was there a video for that did i yep. miss the video there yeah? was a okay. video yeah it was very 1989 <laughs> like very 1989 <laughs> with like yeah. stuff floating in the background you know like the <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like oh, the yeah. stuff that's in the background. Yeah, that, that type video. Yeah. But uh, no, yeah. Buff- like I um, I only knew uh, the songs Buffalo Stance and Manchild from this album. Those were the ones that were familiar. So I had a little bit of idea. I also know that like I knew a little bit of Nena Cherry in the 90s when she kind of got into the world a little bit more of like, I'm not going to say like trip hop but she ran kind of in those circles like i know she was yeah, doing stuff I with, like, mass, Definitely. with like massive attack and like uh nelly hooper you know and people like that that was a little bit of what i remember when i was i'm not gonna say my phase of trip hop because i've always liked it but like in that world you know she kind of resurfaced there is she uh, swedish or like English she's swedish, swedish or something yes okay. she's swedish i think dad one of the, the i think the mom is from sweden and the dad is either from britain or 
uh, the United States. I can't remember which, I but like she she has a British accent at some. So parts. maybe Britain, yeah, <laughs> it feels something like, like that. All right, so she was uh, she was born in Stockholm. Um, her mother was a Swedish painter and textile artist, um, and her father um, was it was from Sierra Leone in West Africa. Don Cherry. Well, yeah. she also had a stepfather, Don Cherry, not to be confused with the hockey guy from Canada, Don Cherry. <laughs> or Buck Cherry. Cherry. <laughs> yeah, but Don Cherry is listed in all music as one of the most influential jazz musicians of the late 20th century. Thanks to his imagination and passion for exploration. So that was her stepfather. So that was a seminal influence in her life as well. Just an FYI there. So that was in her life. But yeah, so I remember those two songs. Uh, I enjoyed this. This is very much a slice of its time, like the late 80s. But this was like the stuff that was like playing in the world when I was going to the mall or um, it's the sound of the stuff I listened to when I was at the mall or, or my much loved roller rink or other places mm-hmm. that I'm at. Right. It's kind of that type of music. I, I will say one thing. I don't know if there is a song that has got stuck in my head more than love ghetto in like <laughs> years in doing this podcast. I, it, first of all, the lyrics don't make it an ounce of, there's a lot of like sports metaphors in it, like hitting home runs and using the left foot and the That's, right foot and yeah. stuff. And I'm like, I don't, quite know what i'm in a home run i'm in a home run on the last stretch so like horse racing and then on the left foot with the right foot but damn if i don't care because damn that song got stuck in my head and it was it was a vibe as the kids say right there and it kind of almost gets repetitive but in a way that didn't turn me off but i really liked that song i liked uh in a city mama not inner i-n-n-e-r in a i-n-n-a and there's a little bit of like playfulness on this i liked like the song phony ladies with an extra e in there you had inner city mama was in there man child you got a song called my bitch at, at song <laughs> yeah, the 10 bonus track, so yeah. the bonus track is called my bitch yeah and uh so here i come is a so here i yeah double, double so, so here i come is a double entendre so there's a lot of tongue and uh cheek in this i think uh um the song my bitch is seems to be about having an orgasm i think but like i can't quite tell what it's about so lyrically this album kind of baffled me but um yeah i I, the the by the way the song my bitch which i liked also had a great line it said all i could smell was leather and brute which made me laugh right there so there's all kinds of stuff that's that's good Uh, there let me let me tell you my favorite line from the song heart you're, Heart, so, go ahead, yeah. you're so digital, girl. You're like one yes. of those Cabbage Patch creatures. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, too. Yeah, so, yeah there's, there's elements of humor in this that are very tongue-in-cheek, but also, like, veering between different stuff. So, also very much, like, singing in English, but coming from another language at times. <laughs> like, the word choice is in there. But, yeah, this, this put me in a good mood because this was sort of, like, the dance music of the late 80s. I know we had that long talk about, like, that I was baffled that, like people would dance to like new order and stuff. And I'm like, how do you dance to that stuff? And I kind of heard Matt just describe this album as, oh, I kind of got into this or not. I'm like, this is a dance album for me. Like this, the the purpose of this album is to be played on the dance floor. Uh, yeah. And at times it sounds a little bit like early female rap, like early salt and Peppa and like early TLC and MC Light and Queen Latifah, right? And all the hip hop MC's there. So that is the rap element, Matt, on those songs. It's coming in there. But then it also goes into dance R&B 
of the late 80s, which could easily, after you hear this album, you could hear a song from like Rhythm Nation 1814, which we covered last week, or a Prince song, or it would easily and seamlessly fit into that realm. Um, and yeah, and when you throw in the fact that there was a big old hit, Buffalo Stance, which is one of the odder big hits of the 80s because <laughs> it it's two songs, sense. really. It's like it's like one song that's very like, okay, you're like, it's a slow boil and you're like, hmm, I wonder where this is going. And then it goes into that like incredible, like almost like not a bass drop, but it's like it basically it's like let the beat drop. You know what I mean? And then it's kind of like goes in a completely different direction, like how that. It isn't that, you know, it's not like a beat drop, but it's the same effect, right? Where like when the bass hits, it's like a completely yep. different song than what's leading up to it. And it's the same thing. And boy, yeah, that chorus is uh, like an incredible chorus. Um, and but once again, like I'm not a thousand percent sure what the Buffalo stance is. Like, were you guys able to? <laughs> well, like, I looked it up. Cause, yeah. Okay. Because she was a hell no. She was a model. Because I said the same thing. I was like, "What is a yeah. buffalo stance?" Uh, yeah. Apparently, it's some sort of like uh, model pose or attitude that they had to keep while they were while they were modeling. And okay, that's so what like they called it the buffalo stance. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, I enjoyed this album. I was really curious as to what you were going to think about this album, Josh. So yeah. I want to punt over to you. I, I I liked it. It was it was. It so... doesn't surprise me because it does <laughs> it does reside more in my and your lane, doesn't it? Than maybe Matt's lane a little bit. I, I like the like like you guys both said. I kind of like the fusion of rap and pop slash dance slash R and B. It was kind of all of those things at times, and and uh, I guess probably dance is like the the foundational. These songs are definitely. Um, designed to make you move like you said i think it's it's playful which is like kind of one of the things that charmed me about it uh, not only like with the crazy lyrics but just kind of like the the attitude she has that she brings across on her uh when she's you know rapping or sometimes it's almost like she's just like not singing and just saying the words or something and which is funny and you know songs like the next generation about which is about being a mom, I think, and like, being, <laughs> or and, aspiring to be a mom. Yes, yeah. that was how I read it too. Or yeah. like, um, you know, like I guess Buffalo Stance is kind of the perfect epitome of that because it's it really doesn't make any sense, but the song is so catchy, and uh, especially that chorus, which is I had not heard this song before, and I was surprised it was such a big hit. And Emily said she knew like part of it from somewhere like they sampled it maybe or the something chorus. but yeah but um, oh yeah that song's been sampled a ton of times yeah so uh but especially yeah, that, that synth line yeah that's sampled all the time head for sure but then mm -hmm. also like just kind of the the whole i don't know it's it's not like necessarily well maybe it is it's like the the female point of view too on these songs we haven't heard that too much but it's also mm -hmm. just kind of uh, confident and i think it's pretty sex positive and i think she's coming mm -hmm. from a place of like i don't know like you know being from like working class or like being from the street or it seemed like she's i don't know i don't she's, think she is though i think no she's, no I, you know, yeah. i'm just saying that's it, that kind of point of view seems to be coming across in this and what's well, definitely uh, multiracial because she has that line about like black babies white babies quarter <laughs> puerto ricans two six chinese which yeah which i thought that's oddly yeah. specific but yeah <laughs> right. and um and just i think 
you know, kind of like deadbeat uh, boyfriends or significant others and and man child and. Yeah. Like I'm willing to have a lot of sex, but if you're a scrub, I'm not gonna. Have any. Yeah. It's like basically like proto no scrubs. Yeah, it is. I think that's kind of like or never gonna get it by En Vogue, right? Like that was a trope of like the '90s R and B, right? Like I'm willing to have a lot of sex and really good sex, but if you suck, you're not getting any of this sex, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And just the fact that like a song's called outre risque locomotive didn't <laughs> 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 make any sense but i would say it's it's definitely dance focused because all of the tracks are pretty long and i think repetitive and i think designed to be danced to especially towards like the last minute or so i was like okay you're not adding new choruses or voice uh verses or anything although there's not a lot of repetition of lyrics some of these things are very wordy these songs (laughs) like lots and lots of original lyrics yeah i feel like sometimes she goes off on tangents and songs too i don't know if that's true Well, that's what i mean it's like it's not like you know most dance songs right like they repeat sort of the same chorus and bridge over and over not in this one it's the same structure but the words are all new so she's not focused in the main theme of the of the song (laughs) she just gets distracted i don't know i guess so it's loose sketches i I know what you mean though it's kind of funny like some of like because some of those raps are really long it's like man it's like you think she's doing a quick breakdown and it's like actually that was like a minute of just like free flow and you know yeah rap or or like the song is is going along and then she's like hold up hold up hold and then she'll like say something (laughs) so she really likes ADD I I think it's uh the point of view and kind of felt refreshing and we hadn't really heard anyone like her yet um and and that coupled with kind of a slight insanity to the lyrics and and uh and, and the um the playfulness of it kind of ch- mm. charmed me overall. So I, I give it mm-hmm. a thumbs up. I think it's worth listening to. I mean, check out Buffalo Stance if you haven't, yeah. but I think it's mm-hmm. worth listening to the album as well. And be prepared like... to have Love Ghetto stuck in your head for like weeks. <laughs> I like my, I think my favorite outside of Buffalo Stance was was Phony Ladies. Like I liked how that <laughs> was kind of like too. a, yeah, I liked the, uh, there was like layered and stuff. And at the end they said, money, 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 you know, over, you know, like one thing on top of the other. And it was had a really cool kind of, bleep bloop beat to it so mm. that was yeah it's a fun record for sure it's yeah so it sounds like yep. y'all liked it to one point or the yeah mm-hmm. level or another yeah and this is one of those albums that uh, as time has gone on has gained a little bit of esteem critically too oh really um, okay. with people kind of looking yeah a bit like a little bit before it's time which i can see as well because this mm-hmm. this does um earmark a lot of what's coming in 90s dance and r&b there's a lot of similarities yeah. to yeah, yeah the queen latifah female good, rap yeah. like rap yeah. acts and there's a lot of those like female r&b acts that have similar themes right like there's a ton in the early 90s like en vogue and mm-hmm. you know um swv and expose and you know we can keep going right like even later in the 90s you've got like monica and yeah even destiny's like that. child destiny's Ch- that's yeah they, they yeah that's kind of the similar idea right like a lot and a lot of the themes are the same here like you know i'll give you a lot of love but if you're basically i also have to deal with all of these morons like in scrubs right in my life and like i'm i'm exacerbated by these scrubs and these fake women right like that's kind of a lyrical theme so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that was on here so with some social messaging too, <laughs> you know, like yeah. about yeah, the world. That's in. It. Yeah, sprinkled in as well, and fashion and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yep. So, yeah, thumbs up for me for sure. Yeah, um, good stuff. And, the, 
And that takes us to album number three, which I get the first take on. But before mm-hmm. I start blabbering away, uh, Matt, what are we listening to? So this is Terrence Trent Darby, um, who actually doesn't even go by Terrence Trent Darby anymore. It goes, he changed his name to, yep. what is it? Sonata I, Maitira? Sananda Maitreya, I believe. Maitre- is, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because when I when I was searching for it on Spotify, it wasn't giving me the because it, it gave me the new name. So anyway, um, at this time he was still Terrence Trent Darby, and this is introducing the Hardline. According to Ter- Terrence Trent Darby, comes in at number three forty five in the nineteen eighties on Best Ever Album. Number two thousand two hundred and twenty of all time. It is Terrence Trent Darby's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. Did not make Rolling Stones list, and Terrence Trent Darby is ranked number 1,580 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. So, like, you can't change your name with me without me doing a little bit of a homework on what's <laughs> yeah. going on there. And I found out that this was apparently inspired by a dream that uh, Sananda slash Terrence, <laughs> right, had in the 90s that sort of led him to this new name. And I think it was 2001, because I, I remember it being shortly after like 9-11, but it was not inspired by 9-11. He had had these dreams leading up to it, and it just so happened that it went there. So that was that. But in the in the course of this, like the only thing I really was ever remembered about Terrence Trent D'RB was like he was viewed as a really big deal. And I remember hearing that. And then like he just disappeared kind of and I always hmm. I remember that he had a pretty like uh he kind of got known for a quote he had where he said his album was the best album since like Sgt. Pepper's or a little bit of like <laughs> Noel Gallagher you know like sort of boasting along the way yeah. but I think he's kind of since said that it was designed to get people talking which it did because he was sort of looked at as the next big star but I guess he was very ambitious and I guess it just never panned out I know he was a heartthrob I sent you guys that really funny clip apparently he had an affair with uh bob geldof's wife and oh, right. like yeah like i guess bob geldof confronted him in the most english way possible about whether it was and he sort of you know it was happening and that led to an interesting rabbit hole where that woman was i guess an english presenter who sort of died young and was a whole sort of like has become a cause to celebra, you know, friend of Princess Di type deal. So anyway, there are a lot of rabbit holes I chased down this one. So then I wanted to get back to this album. And uh, I really like this album quite a bit. Uh, it has, for those that might be familiar uh, with what kind of came later from the 90s, it has a little bit of like what Babyface does in the 90s a little bit. I, I saw some real um, similarities between what Terrence Trent uh, Darby, Sananda, Maitreya were doing. Uh, I was familiar with two songs on this album, one of which I knew I was, Wishing Well, which was a relatively Mm -hmm. big song. Um, I don't know if I was as familiar with the fact that he did Sign Your Name, another song that I recognized pretty much immediately uh, from this album as well. So there were two tracks that came in and they were spread throughout the album. One was track three and one was track nine. But this was definitely a R&B singer-songwriter type of album. Uh, it's very funky. Um, his voice was the real standout to me. He, he has a very versatile voice. It can go high. It can um, doesn't drop down to like deep, deep. But it can go almost to like a richer baritone when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays around with it a lot during the tracks. And so it makes... It saves the album from ever sounding samey, right? Because he's doing different, uh, different takes on sort of R and B and soul music. Um, yeah. I think in his mind, this album and it is was designed to be very, very eclectic, and, and it was. 
Um, and considering the fact that he was a very young, you know, relatively young performer at this point, I think the, I think he was like in the military and then he was, um, the, the bad discharge, right? The, uh, why am I forgetting? Dishonorably discharged. Yes. Yeah. Uh, from it. And then he started performing in, in Europe and then he kind of made this album and this was the album. So from that end of things, it's kind of, um, it's kind of remarkable actually, when you think about it, that. He had this level, and you could see why he popped as like a future star mm-hmm. to people that you know might have been listening. Um, but yeah, this is this is um, a different version of of like what R and B was. A lot of what we've heard so far of R and B in the mid to late eighties was more quiet storm R and B or or like adult contemporary standards R and B, and that will continue to be very much a thing in the early 90s, you know, early Mariah Carey, Luther Vandross, right? A continuation of Anita Baker. There's, you know, there, there's more, right? I'm just going mm-hmm. on top of my head right there. That that lane is there. But this is sort of, like I said before, it's that it's that baby face type of R&B, right? Where it, it has some roots to rock, some to singer-songwriter, some to R&B and smooth soul, um, he doesn't sound totally like him, but that lane also is populated by people like, um, you know, like D'Angelo and stuff a little later, like the neo-soul yeah. stuff that comes. Um, I wouldn't call Terrence Trent DRB neo-soul in terms of what that sounds like, but um, it, it, yeah, it's it's a very, I felt like a very modern album. And one thing that stood out too, Josh, or uh, Matt, is that even though it's 1987, this doesn't sound like an 80s album as much. The production sounds way more like a 90s album, um, I would say. Um, and you could clearly tell that uh, Terrence Trent D'Arby's listed like a lot of Stevie Wonder as well. That's a, I think looking backwards, that would be who I immediately jumped to as who would sort of be, in my opinion, his biggest influence um, in terms of his sound. Uh, but yeah, I... Once again, I feel like I'm a broken record this week, but I definitely enjoyed this album. Uh, it snuck up on me a little bit. And um, yeah, so I guess I'll kick to you, Matt. What did you think? I thought Is it was Matt Josh's take. Yeah, yeah, it was Josh's take. I'm sorry. Take. I, yeah, yeah, no, come on with us. Yeah. no problem. Uh, yeah, this was... Uh, I really enjoyed this album. In fact, it's my album of the week uh, for this one. I, you know... I've kind of gone back and forth with the R&B stuff. I know, John, you really like the Quiet Storm stuff, but this is the type of R&B I like. And mm-hmm. I agree. It sounds really modern, and his voice is really the standout um, on this album. You can tell in the production. James Brown, too, I should mention. Yes, he sounds wrote, a lot like him. I wrote mm-hmm. down James Brown. He doesn't have as much of the kind of like theatrics and, and uh, you know, dance move type of, you know, complimenting behavior to that i would say i think his show did though have a fair amount of that but like in terms of the yeah like yeah but i can definitely Mm -hmm. see it um same thing with early michael jackson i think i got some of that as well and there's a there's a slight pop sensibility to this album that i responded to but yeah his voice is the real standout on this and he's got some range and he uses it in different ways a lot and then he also adds um, backing singers at really like interesting and key times throughout different songs um that really kind of complement and and boost his voice um this is real it's another kind of real mix of genres not just r&b but there's soul i feel like sometimes there's even like some gospel elements to it there's like a oh you know i can't believe i forgot you know who else this it calls is bruno mars 
is a lot of the sound of this album too at different times especially yeah, like dance little point. sister yep yep mm-hmm. and um they add he adds some some like chanting or kind of like i don't know i i kept trying to figure out how to describe it it's like like uh from the first track if you all get to heaven it's um almost like spoken word chanting or something in and uh, he uses that a, cu- a couple times throughout, like in Seven More Days, too. It adds, adds like almost like this religious element to the to the songs or kind of like some weight to it in some way. Spiritual, would you yes. say? More so, yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like the old Negro spiritual, as they used yes. to say. And, and um, also has, a, you know, I feel like the emotion really comes through. There's... Um, there's a uh, some like mysteriousness to him. There's um, some uh, playfulness and loving, but also like longing and kind of like searching type of songs on here. There, there's definitely like a throwback vibe too. Like, like sign on, your name sounds like yes. it could be a Sade song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was familiar with Wishing Well and and uh, Sign Your Name by by song. Not that he. I didn't know who sang those songs, but I recognized them. And even something on like Wishing Well that has like a whistle aspect to it. He does the songs are constructed really interestingly, and um, it it seems like there's a lot of um, like session musicians or I don't know a lot of ideas that are being thrown around that that really work and cohere together for me. It well, you know, a note I wrote for myself, Josh is. I get the feeling that this is what Matt wanted Stevie Wonder to sound like. So <laughs> yes. when you get to him, I'll be wondering if that's I'm right or if it's just still a barrier. So yeah, yeah. and similar to Fine Young Cannibals too, I think there's some like Otis Redding and Sam Cooke ins- inspiration for sure on this. Like Who's Loving You, the last track mm-hmm. is definitely um, an homage to them. I feel like, and so or Smokey Robinson is who mm-hmm. I got from that one a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that. Uh, pull those pulls from the past mixed with kind of all the other genres whilst while i agree it does sound modern too so all of that together really worked for me and i was really entertained by this album and i thought all of the tracks were pretty strong and and um yeah it got a big big thumbs up for me i'm glad we stuck this one in here yep so another artist i I didn't know anything about this guy. I don't know if the name was vaguely familiar, and that was about it. So um, this was all new to me. And, uh, yeah, I, I I kind of pretty much agree with just about everything that you guys were saying. I think it's interesting that I I, I, I did not come up with many, like, it's, <laughs> this is going to be funny. I, I Like, all the artists that you had mentioned, particularly you, John, like, you're just rattling off. I'm like, yep, I see that. Yep, you're right. Yep. And it's none of those things came to my mind. <laughs> That's um, because your your R and B is still a developing exactly, creature. Right. Your knowledge, yes. Mm-hmm. I would, and yes, I would much rather listen to this than almost all the Stevie Wonder's record, Wonder records that we covered. Like I, yeah. this was way more, I don't know, accessible for me. Um, Variety is here for sure. He's got a. I agree. The voice is the standout. Although the one track I didn't like was the one that was the the, the acapella as yet untitled. Like that. Oh, was I like that song. I, eh, I, I, I was, it's, it was fine. It didn't need to be five and a half minutes. You know, it just, it, it's, yeah. it, it wore out. It's welcome. I think I'm um, on Josh's side on that one. I yeah, enjoyed he, that. He's got a power. It's like a D'Angelo. Sure. It's what D'Angelo would do. Is later, it? Yeah. You know? It's yeah. I, how does it I, feel? I, you know? I'd rather have some music behind that, I guess mm-hmm. is what, you know, 
just but um it's only one at, track so it's, yeah it's, it's just one right it wasn't yes and um and actually the last track is a Smokey robinson track um oh so, is it yeah okay. yeah mm-hmm. oh is it really it is yeah <laughs> okay. yeah oh it's it's, i was one, gonna say it sounds like Smokey robinson i had no idea it was him yeah yeah it's the one cover wow. on the record so yeah i promise so i didn't go. cheat on that i just that was me just saying yep. that sounded like Smokey robinson yep. so he's yo his voice is great um it it there the, there is the variety here it's yes the old spiritual you know it's like the civil war you know kind of like the you know you know you, you can just it's like kind of harkens back to that time where you're, yeah. you're kind of it's like the the morning and the is. it's like a call and response type of yeah it's like just, i just think it's a spiritual it's like it's yeah. where it's actually where a lot of you know popular music came from to be yeah. honest you know the blues right it's you know became you know from you know from 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 slaves from people that were just down and out and they were just they they use spirituals to kind of you know, bring some levity or not levity. Necessary. It's got some were, elements of gospel too, yeah. is probably yes. another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where yeah. God, yeah, right. But gospel, I think came, it all came from that. Right. So, um, so that's certainly here. Um, there's more upbeat, you know, poppier stuff. Um, I really liked, uh, I thought, but I thought some of the mellow stuff was great too. Like I really liked seven more days. I liked rain, um, you know, kind of the more of the mellow songs. Actually, the the one thing that I came up with in terms of like artists, I'm like, man, this sounds a little like so-and-so was uh, the second track, If You Let Me Stay, sounded like Michael Bolton to me, to be quite honest. Like the way, like- the, I did like not this, get that. Like his, well, he's got like, cause his voice goes in the raspy, like when he belts out some of the some of the um, notes. I love how even it's your soul the... singers are white guys, Matt. That's my favorite thing. I, yeah. Well, Michael Bolton, <laughs> well, it's like he was so ubiquitous, and it was just like, I God, yeah. I can't take this guy. And it just became such a parody of things. But like, yeah, I, and I Michael don't think Bolton's he was ubiquitous, voices... though. Like, he wasn't ubiquitous where I grew up. Like, I mean, you knew him, but like, he was very much like a different, I think it was kind of like if you didn't have access to like, urban yeah. radio like michael bolton gave you elements of it like congealed for you because I, I don't think it, of like michael bolt i know he sold a ton of albums uh-huh. but like he very much existed on mtv but it was never on the radio near me when people i don't remember him, but that's the, the thing they listen to r&b you know that's the thing like i can't point to where like oh i always heard michael bolton on mtv or on this particular radio station it was just he was just there like he just existed <laughs> You know, in this, you know, this element here and that element there. And it was just and so that song kind of had a little bit more of the uh, the the, that was the the, if you let me stay had a little bit more of that 80s like kind of like a synthetic vibe. And then when he belted it out, I was like, I could see Michael Bolton singing this because that because that raspy voice, it was a similar kind of uh, tone to the voice. But um, this is certainly better most than I will say that (laughs) than any Michael Bolton stuff I heard. But um, so, yeah, I like the variety here. This was, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I I, I just I didn't know any of it before. And generally speaking, I enjoyed it. And I think except with the exception of that one song. But uh, but yeah, it's funny you process that way, too, because like when I hear if you let me stay, it reminds me of like what Kurt Franklin would do later. Like, I don't know who Kurt Franklin is. God's property of Kurt Franklin. I bet you know that one song. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, anyway, but that's for those that heads that know, right? Like that's kind of <laughs> like it's that you know that pop version yeah. of gospel, right? It's kind of yeah. like I felt like that a little bit of what you're going with the background yeah. vocals and stuff like that. So that's but there's a lot of ex- there, yeah, there's a lot of accessibility here. Like I could mm-hmm. see this being a record that even you know for someone like me that's not really well versed in soul or R and B, you know, it's like yeah, that's that was an easy 
you know, kind of, um, kind of listen. Like it, I, I, I felt like it took me a couple of listens to kind of grasp a little bit because it seemed like it was kind of jumping from one thing to the next. So, you know, um, but, and I was fine with that. I think that's good. You know, I think that every, every direction that he took for the most part was pretty good. So, um, so yeah, I, thumbs up. I feel like too, that the, his voice sounds so natural on this. I think a lot of production nowadays kind of takes out the imperfections um, of artists or just straight up auto tunes them. But this, you can hear kind of like him, like either breathing or like, especially on as yet untitled, like kind of adjusting his voice or small cracks or like, you know, or the smoky cover because he doesn't always hit it. He lets his voice kind of crack a little bit to get across the emotion. Yeah. So I really like that too. Um, it It felt more, I don't know, like stripped down or, or almost like an unplugged album or something in some, at some times, even though there's a lot, I think there's a lot of production value on this, but yeah, I, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. That who's loving you song was written in 1960 by Smokey. It was recorded by the miracles and as well as the temptations and the Supremes. Wow. So yeah, this is a pretty darn big, um, big album. Um, both in the UK and the United States. This was a top 10 album in the US. So, and wow. uh, he, he was nominated for a bunch of Grammys and he was really considered to be like, um, like the next big thing. In yeah, Ar- what happened can, to him? You can kind of see it. It just kind of, he, he released some very ambitious albums that, um, you know, kind of walk that line between being arty and being, a lot of people described as either pretentious or overstuffed or taking mm. chances that didn't work, you know? And then there was sort of like a, um, a spiritual period, you know, that, so it kind of just was, I just don't think he ever released the album again, right. That resembled this and people might've wanted a little bit more of the same of this one before they went in a different direction. And I think that was a little bit of what ended up hurting, you know, the weight of expectations. Well, he's got 12 albums, and his most recent one was actually in 2021. I think a lot, um, though, were, like, in the two, 2000s, right? You went through, like, a run of them. Yeah, Let's see. Those it's, titles it's, are very ambitious. Yeah. Just vibrator. Looking at that. <laughs> yes. 89. Vibrator, yes. 89, 93, 95, every four or five years he's doing an album. 06, that was two, two back-to-back. 09, 11. Yeah, he's been he's been around. He's still kicking. Twenty twenty one was the last out record. So, Pandora's yep. Playhouse. And he is uh, sixty one years old now, which seems kind of hard to believe. But he was twenty. He was twenty five when this record came out. Twenty five wow. when this came out, and sixty one now. So wow, that's it. Does not seem like that much time has passed, does it? But um, there you go. Yeah. So. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. Thumbs up from all of us. It sounds like yep. so. The first yep. half of this show is filled with albums that have, yes. have moved our souls. Let's see if the second half delivers the goods there. Um, and Matt, why don't you run the numbers? And Josh has the first take on this one. Yeah. Okay, so this is the uh, the Blue Nile um, with hats uh, <laughs> coming in at number 185 in, on Best Ever Albums in the 1980s, number 14 in 1989, number 1,175 of all time. It is the Blue Nile's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. Did not make Rolling Stones list, and the Blue Niles ranked number 748 of overall artist rankings. Yeah, the Pitchfork crowd really loves this album, so I was interested to listen. Is that to where this, it came from? Yeah, up, Pitchfork. Yeah. Well, it's also just no, it also other places too. It just comes up in a lot of like best of the 80s lists. So and I had no idea about it, but I don't want to steal mm. Josh's thunder, so I'll step back. Well, 
Pitchfork is wrong. Um, <laughs> I did not like this album. I, I, I thought it was okay. I, um, you know, it, it falls into that genre of chill, slightly jazz, like sophistapop, uh, genre of music. And all of the songs, there's like, I don't know, six or seven songs and they're all like six or seven minutes a piece. It, it's a real kind of electronic soundscape. I think there's a lot of space in the album and it lets you, um, kind of feel the music this is definitely a night album for sure the first the first new first note i wrote is is this sting's new group because i got a lot of like police vibes to, yes it definitely to sounds like solo sting i <laughs> yeah. wrote that too yep um it's got a warm sound to it i think it's inviting in a lot of ways and i can i can see the appeal for people but there is there's too much space and downtime for me in these songs and they kind of drag on um past where i'm (laughs) where i'm ready to stop and they just keep going um i think there's a lot of uh high production value on here something like the fourth track headlights on parade is uh, they make it sound like an orchestra is accompanying them in the in the studio or it's got an orchestral sound to it or add those instruments there's a electronic bass or some sort of deep deep bass uh, or deep keyboard or something on 7 a.m., which I thought was interesting. But overall, it's, a lot of it sounded like songs that would play in like a dramatic climax to a romantic comedy or a dramedy or something and seemed to uh, work perfectly as almost like a, a music score at times. But there wasn't, this really isn't kind of a, definitely not like a pop album you know there's not a lot of hooks it's very much like an album that you would kind of chill out to and um it's i guess it's a little uplifting as well um i think it's got a positive mood overall it's not trying to like be down um downbeat i guess it could be like dream pop in some sort of way but it it wasn't really that for me it definitely wasn't like cocteau twins or it didn't really sound ethereal it just sounded more like a night album like at a jazz bar or something and um so not really my cup of tea i would give it kind of like a thumbs in the middle i i kind of found my found myself honestly like skipping the last 30 seconds of the song um because i was like okay i get it um but um, I think they are I they are definitely like a vibe album and I think this whole kind of the whole album is a real like nighttime vibe so if you're into that sort of thing if you need something to like relax to I think that would be a good uh, good album for this maybe like a background dinner album as well if I had to put um, things to do with this album <laughs> and so uh, yeah so it, it's not for me um, I kind of got that feeling almost like after the first song, but uh, I think some people will really respond to it. And um, so thumbs in the middle for me. Yeah, I, um, I, so I, again, didn't know anything about these guys, never heard of them or him. I think it's one main guy, perhaps one of those things. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, I, I'm a little higher on this than you, Josh. And um, I, I like stuff like this. I like mm. kind of, mellow chill out night definite nighttime music soundscape um you know pleasant sounding vibes 
which this definitely has. Um, it's uh, I actually thought his voice sounded like of all people David Byrne, not like the uh, the quirky David Byrne, but kind of when when David Byrne actually tries to you know just sing normally, you know he's got a little bit of the I I, I found the similarity there. Um, I and I this definitely you know kind of foreshadows. I see why Pitchfork people would love it because it's there's definitely elements of like somebody like Bon Iver or something like that, you know, kind of these, these, mm-hmm. these artists that kind of do this little, you know, stripped down kind of moody, uh, atmospheric music with some synths and, and stuff like that. But aren't um, those artists kind of like guitar based too? I, Blue Nile doesn't really have guitars in it. If no, Boney Bear, right. Boney Bear's got a, got acoustic, but he does, yeah. he does stuff like this too. It, mm-hmm. That's just somebody that came across like, and I did read, I did see, I, there's, I did read just a tad on these guys and one of the, um, the guy, the main guy, Matt Healy, I think, from the 1975. I, they, oh, I read Swift's the new boyfriend. Is that? Oh, <laughs> so really? Like, I didn't know that. There I you go. Know. Yes, There's a lot of yes, very controversially. <laughs> oh man. Yes. Oh, geez. Well, we can get into that later, I guess. But uh, I, I read that he said that this is his favorite band and this is his favorite album of the 80s. Wow. Okay. Um, and so, and Does their the... stuff. 1975 is more pop oriented okay, than this, but ask. but yeah. the sound, the production is kind of very much I, that. It makes sense. Like that's there's there's elements of this in their music. I, I liked it. I didn't love it, uh, but I definitely liked it. And it's 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 not something. It's not a record you could just put on any time. You know, I definitely. It's a night kind of. I just want a contemplative. Just have an album on and just kind of let it wash over you, kind of a thing. Um, and so yeah. uh, I I could see. What she's listening to, she's like, all right, I get the point. Kind of like you, Josh. You know, I, 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 maybe a song, you know, maybe a song or two, like in a playlist, would be fine. But like, you know, for an entire album, it's a bit much. I mean, it's not that long of a record. It's probably what forty no, something minutes long. So it's not a, t- it's not like a terribly long record. Although every song, there's only one song in here that's not at least five minutes, right? So, um, right. so they're he's exploring. They're exploring a little bit with with the sound here, but. Um, you know, but I, I, I think there's a place for this in, in my, you know, music catalog of, you know, of enjoyment. And it's it's interesting, you know, just kind of, you know, uh, being a little bit more exposed to it. But, uh, yeah, I'm a slight thumbs up on this. This was something that I could feel I, I feel like at certain times I could go back into. I mean, there's other there's I think there's other versions of this type of sound that I like probably more Um that that hit me a little bit more. that do a little bit more for me than this. But uh, but I still I still enjoyed it enough. I couldn't even tell you what the lyrical content was about in this album. Uh, I was just saying. Nor could I. I can. I can. And I, I, <laughs> okay. so I'll get there in a little bit. But uh, this was an interesting one for me because the first time I heard this album, I was listening to it, but in the way like I was driving. And so sometimes Uh-oh. I'll just did do an initial crash? listen. Yeah. No, my thoughts were very much like what Josh said. I'm like, oh my gosh, this album <laughs> is taking an eternity to, to go and just nothing about this is interesting me right it's just sort of watch go over and then the second time i listened to it i made it a point to listen to it at a time when i was in a much more relaxed present yeah. standpoint and that made a, a very big difference because the album got a lot more enjoyable when i didn't feel like I was waiting for its pace to play out against what else was good. Like, it's kind of like when you're at night, right? You're not competing against anything else. And the yeah. vibe and the feel of this album way more uh, appealed to me. I, I immediately kind of recognized after that first time listening to it, okay, this is going to occupy the same lane as like Roxy Music and Scott Walker 
and talk talk right and uh prefab sprout you know like i, I was just, like writing down like here are all the things that that this reminds me of right you know it's certainly you know anything that's the ambient stuff like brian eno and stuff there's elements of that too <clears throat> so i was like okay i can't just judge this based on when my life is going on because this is not music for that and you're right matt this this presages um indie rock later i know you mentioned bon Iver, a good one there's like nas the national vibes to this album as well like that lane of kind of like what the national just, do uh, there's so the many bands in the like 2000s. meditative you know yeah, yeah meditate it's yeah and it really m83 that's another one M80, yes. that french guy you know this sound kind of skipped the 90s almost entirety and then like yeah. came back yeah. in the 2000s and so it this you don't really hear music like this in the 90s and then you hear a ton of this music in the the 2000s and 2000, early 2010s. So from that end of things, it's it's very context specific for me because for me, there's gonna be times where I want no part of this album and there's gonna be times where this album is enjoyable. And that was my own, ex I listened to it a third time in a moderate context, you know, between both of those. And it was fine there, but it probably depended on the track. Like, for example, I like the track, probably my favorite track on this was from a late night train was probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. On here, the Downtown Lights would probably be my second favorite song. Uh, lyrically, I know there probably are going to be those people that feel this is a romantic album. To me, it's a little bit like, you know, I long for you. I need you. This is where we meet at the, the foggy overpay. And like that type of stuff, the, the generic sketch of it's more mood than it is words. Right. And so it's like the combination of sincere longing mixed with sincere sounds which that lyric earnest just yeah it uh, i wouldn't even say earnest like no. sort of like you're saying peop, some people if they speak through the heart think it's profound but when you look at it as like words themselves it's like you're not really freaking saying anything you know what i mean it's just kind of like you know it's it's all vibes you know no substance kind of it it's like you know yeah. a lot of like the first song for example has like um uh the railroad and the fence, watch the train go roll around the bend, over the hillside, over the moment, over the hills and waiting, working night and day. You know, it's like evoking a place, but it's like, all right, you know, like, yes. It's like for someone, I remember Saturday Night Live did a sketch where they sold like wishing wells for sensitive oh, young yeah, boys. Wells for boys. Yeah, wells <laughs> for boys. And it's a little bit like that. It's like yeah. staring into a well, you know, yeah, like without. Exactly. Yeah, and that's like the music for this, right? Like staring into the well and contemplating. And for some people, it's like that's a really profound experience. And for others, it's like, all right, let's get to where we're going. You know, the world can't be just whimsical, you know. And yeah, it does. For me, this didn't lean as much in the um, Cocteau Twins type world of that stuff because it there wasn't like a dissonance. This is all smooth. You know what I mean? There weren't yeah. rough edges to this. This album also, and you guys didn't mention this, I'm shocked, is like immaculately produced. Like you mentioned it on an individual track, but holy cow, this album, I think I, I, I in doing a little bit of research for this, I read that this album was originally constructed as much to, like it was designed, part of the design of it was to test high-end stereo equipment, oh, which makes sense because yeah. when you hear this, you're like, yeah, this absolutely um has that vibe so when i that piece got filled in for me i was like oh yeah that that is the thing that stood out to me in many ways the most is that like the production on this album is immaculate even by the standards of immaculate um production it's just so clean it's very warm and lush at the same time i know you mentioned the arrangements themselves 
can sound spare or have a lot of space, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. But the production, on the other hand, I don't think is spare. It's it's like every moment is captured that's giving you something you know not much is slipping by here unrecognized so that's kind of the sound of the production as i hear it but i i would say thumbs in the middle for me on this one and very much um like roxy music how i feel it's kind of like if you listen to it in the right context it really fits like maybe sitting at the beach at like 10 o'clock you know waiting for the night to come Mm -hmm. it gives you like a really calm vibe a romantic vibe for sure um but when you're listening to this in a day right like during the day or as a juxtaposition to something else going on in life outside of maybe things that you're relaxing like heading for a nap you know what i mean like you know in nature maybe lovemaking i don't know something that (laughs) though you're not you know it's those are the context right not like you know (laughs) listening in the car or even just like sitting and paying close attention at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, these are not the context for it. So yeah, thumb, d- uh, basically a quintessential thumbs in the middle album for me, mm-hmm. but not out of apathy more in uh, there's parts I like and parts that don't do a lot for me. Yeah. The, uh, the Roxy music Avalon is a good, I like that too. I probably like that. Better I like the Avalon a lot better. Than yeah. I like album. that better, but it's mm-hmm. a similar, it, they occupy a similar Again, lane. And I yeah. think, I think <laughs> if I was, some the, of it's because Brian Ferry's voice is way more appealing to me than the yeah. lead singer's voice on this. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that's the thing. Like, again, like I think, yeah, it's, it's thumbs up for me, but you know, with the asterisk of in, in certain contexts, right? Like it's like you guys said. So, but, uh, um, but yeah, I think that there's other ways to do this type of music that's more interesting, perhaps. But um, but I still liked it. And I, I agree, the production's great, and um, yeah, it's it's nice. It's a soundscape to me more than more than the sophisticated really. pop that that yeah. genre ah, is definitely yes. where yeah. this resides. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I didn't so. recognize any of the other, you know, the all music which we go to sometimes for artists that sound like or or influence or, you know come after well, this i didn't well, i can't think that. anybody in the 90s like we yeah. matt and i mentioned some people in the 2000s that i think the m83 is a really good comparison matt and some of the different ones there there's a lot in the two we keep naming them but that gets boring after a while but but yeah, yeah. um who are they saying it's similar to josh uh similar to Brian or no it, like followed by i guess would be oh yeah followed by um all Hail the Silence, Annie Lennox, Bark Psychosis, Caliber. Wow, Annie Lennox. I wouldn't put Annie Lennox somewhere. Uh, I guess Porcupine right Tree, Red House Painters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Porcupine Tree makes Suzanne sense. Suzanne Vega, there. Alpha, hmm. Arab Strap, Ben Christophers, David Gray, Mark Hollis, Primitive Radio Gods, and Shelly and Orphan. Primitive Radio Gods. Wow, that's that. Well, yeah. Actually, what's that, that song that... I've been down hearted, baby. <laughs> Standing in a broken telephone booth on a Sunday afternoon with a beer in my hand and a sandwich yeah. in my other hand. Yeah, I like this way better than that song, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So That was B.B. King. I think we discovered that way back when we did that B.B. King live record that yeah. I've been down hearted. That was, that was <laughs> yeah. a B.B. Uh, King. B.B. King was so. way better than that yeah. song, but I think yeah. that's a buzz clip that we're covering, so hmm. we'll save our greatest takes for that. But um, yeah, thumbs in the middle for me. Yep, same. Okay. All right. Album five of six, Matt. What are we covering? So we're doing a new order again. So this is our first repeat artist of the evening. And this is their album Technique. Well, Wire was technically a repeat. Oh, right. Yes. As far as the albums go. Yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, Technique comes in at number 114 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 11 in 1989, number 757 of all time. It's New Order's fourth highest rated album on Best Ever Albums behind Power, Corruption, and Lies, which we covered, Low Life, which we also covered, and Substance, which we did not cover. That's actually a compilation record. Um, oh, right. From, and uh, uh, that's where uh, we did True Faith last week. That was a buzz clip. So that True Faith was on Substance. Um, so Technique is not on Rolling Stones list. And New Order's ranked number 126 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. And, uh, yeah, guys, I, I, I'm i still very much in the New Order camp. I, I, I like this record. It's it, And I'm trying to, like, I was trying to, like, figure out, all right, of the New Order albums that we've covered, which, what's my <laughs> ranking? And I can't do it. I, I don't yeah. – I think they're all kind of solidly, like, I, my reactions to them are very similar. Um, I think, interestingly enough, I think with the previous two records – with Power Corruption Lies and Low Life. I, I thought I thought both of those records started off with really great opening tracks. And I think the opening track here might be my least favorite on the record. It's kind of like yeah. I, I, when I first heard it, I was like, oh man, they're really going hard into the dance. And they've they've been basically doing dance type, club type music, you know, yeah. really since they started, right? And Joy Division broke uh well, disbanded. Um but uh but but I think that they re- they kind of reel that in. I think that's kind of like the most club like, you know, or that song's most likely to be one that would be played at like a, a rave or something like that, you know, kind of like more of a heavier dance song. But mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I, I continue to say, I love Peter Hook's bass lines. I mean, he's just got really, it's, it's, it's an interesting, you know, um, marriage of like, kind of like a, like a, like a pop bass rock kind of genre along with dance music. Um, although I would still say this is kind of more in the pop dance music rather than rock, but but the bass really kind of does ground a lot of these songs in an occasionally guitar. Like there's, um, I think Dream Attack's got a really cool guitar part. Um, maybe Love Less, is that, is that the other one? I, I can't I can't remember uh, offhand, but there's a couple of moments on this record where there's there's like a really good guitar part that kind of helps ground it down in a little bit more of a, of a, of a traditionally yeah. uh, rock structure. Um, so I, I just love that, that vibe that they have and they don't really, you know, new order's not really changing their sound a whole lot, you know, from record to record. And so I guess you could say maybe eventually that could be considered a knock against them, you know, cause maybe if the better artists are ones that kind of, we were just praising Terrence Trent Darby for, yeah. you know, marriaging a bunch of things together and kind of going in different directions and never boring you. But this kind of like, you know, picks a lane and it stays in it. It's just a lane that I happen to really enjoy. Um, I, I like the synthetic, you know, tech it's it's not techno necessarily but it's definitely electronic music um it's there's a lot of melody in here and um and i like i said i really think the bass is is is, is the strongest part of that that really just kind of um uh grounds everything uh, bernard sumner's voice is not that great it's fine right it's it's probably they probably could stand to have a more charismatic or you know uh um <laughs> uh, 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 you know v- or energetic vocalist a little bit um but at the same time it's kind of their vibe a little bit is to kind of be a little mopey and a little sad bastardy so their their music kind of provides the energy i guess in some yeah so so the so the vocals become a little secondary which is i'm okay with because i think that the music is strong enough to kind of carry that i just think it probably could go a little bit up uh, like you could that doesn't mean you don't have to have a, a a great singer you know it just it, it you don't need to have it because there's other things that kind of you know that that for le- for me at least that my focus goes in a different direction um so uh but yeah i thought 
I, it's it's solid. It's um, I you know at New Orders and with New Order and Joy Division, the combination of those two. I mean, if I think about the overall run of this podcast, I think this this is one of my favorite finds that for me is pretty consistent. That I really just I enjoy the vibe. I kind of like the I like the melody with the with the with the um. Uh, the, the melancholy i think the, the the marriage of those two things are the minor keys and stuff like that it just it, it it just it really it really works for me so uh so yeah thumbs up for me again on, on another new order record so so matt were we listening to the same album because this is a completely different album than the rest of new orders catalog in my it's by far my favorite new order album okay. by by tons and i think it sounds extraordinarily different than the other new order albums this there's nothing about this which seems melancholy to me this seems almost like house music at times like it's very much designed to and i know i famously joked around like who's dancing to this new order stuff like <laughs> this album there's no question about it like what are you dancing to there's four or five tracks on here <clears throat> that are like straight ahead like straight up frantic dance music um, there's still songs like Guilty Partner, right, which sort of veer in the lane of what New Order's been doing, but I I can't disagree, personally, I can't disagree enough with, like, they're staying in the same lane, doing their same, like, I feel this is a very different album, and it, like, immediately popped to me, because I knew almost, I knew none of the songs on this album, and, yeah, like, all, all the other ones, I had a bunch of songs, but boy, I was like, man, these are all the songs that I wanted to hear from New Order, um, like, songs like Round and Round, right, and um, Fine Time and stuff were were straight ahead, like, dance club dance music not just like the goths like to get out and dance every once in a while this is like you go to like you know you know um and, and it's funny because i did a little research after that and they like literally tape this in ibiza which all i think of is like all night parties you know what i mean and it's like yeah. well yeah that's what this album sounds like it's basically like an album for like an all night party in many ways and I, I was much more drawn to this sound with New Order. It was much more inviting to me. It, New Order has always sort of worn me down a little bit with, I found it to be, after a while, it's like, I kind of I get what they're going for, right? And just, there was always a distance to me. And unlike, say, Joy Division, where the distance was intriguing because there was stuff, New Order just seemed double combination of the morose, but also the very clinical. This album was not this album i was like i want to listen to more of this and both times i listened to it uh, i really it really appealed to me i mean their lyrics are still horrible they're about nothing and but you're not listening to an album like this in my opinion for lyrics like that th they're secondary um compared to you know the danceability and the the um just uh, just i i can't stress enough how much this far supersedes in my opinion, the other New Order albums, which I was much more um, lukewarm on. And if this had been the New Order I was more familiar with, I think I would have been talking them up quite a bit. So this one this one gets something that I did not think that was going to be coming from me for a New Order album, which is a pretty confident and strong thumbs up. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think we're... I'm going to kind of split the difference, I think, between on your guys' opinions. I think we're splitting hairs in some ways because i see what matt's talking about i think it's a you know kind of a, a variation by degrees uh, there's still 
really just electronic based synth music and i think they've always but the synths are way stronger on this album than they were in the other ones in my opinion like way stronger i guess so i feel like this is comp I mean, all their albums I felt like I could dance to. I feel like this one's not any different. But you don't feel like... like I felt like there weren't, wasn't a lot of guitar on this album. There were still bass lines, but it was... I mean, the other albums were basically all bass and all drum and guitar lines, whereas mm. this was very synth-heavy, in my okay. opinion. Yeah, yeah, I guess I haven't picked up on that. This is I, the one... I think they've... I think they've... I mean... I don't know. I've, I've, they've been synths from the get go. Yeah. Um, and the bass has always been there as well. And that's what I'm saying. Like it's been, it's been the complement of both the synth and, and it's the way that the bass is being played, which is kind of, it's still more in a rock based sound, but it complements well, no, the, 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 the synths, synths have always well. been there, but the synths were complementary on the other albums on this album. They're the, the lead instrument on nearly every album and the guitars and even the bass line were way they were there but they didn't play the like the other albums to me the bass lines and the drums played the lead by quite even the vocals at times and the synth sort of rounded out the edges this album is synth 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 right and everything else is sort of behind it so yeah Yeah, this is to be fair i think this is the album i wanted to listen to again again or process more um i felt like this was really trying to capitalize or sound like the cure in a lot of ways especially in a song like all the way um to the point where i was like why are they just ripping off the cure because the more i listened to this album the more i just wanted to listen to the cure instead so i don't know what that says really (laughs) yeah i didn't get any cure from this album that's so Wow, I feel like yeah, I no, to on that song. I, I, oh, that song is definitely a, yeah, yeah. There's one. That song's yeah, actually I, yeah. that song is actually probably less synth than I mean because that's very guitar bass driven, yeah. and I and I I don't know. I think I would I would encourage you to go back to those other records. That I remember them being pretty synth heavy as well. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't I, think that once this again, is an aberration. Synths were there, but the production like I wow I just I completely hear this different than you guys I, this sounded like a completely different band in different ways to me than the earlier new order in terms of how they ordered their music and what they were going for here hmm. yeah do you feel like it was uh I don't know more inviting or warm or something that absolutely I mean yeah. this album was designed like was designed to like bring people together to dance I felt like the other new order albums were very much about a personal experience that hmm. was um, sort of, you know, I guess a good way to put it would be like the other album was designed to be processed like by yourself in some ways, whereas this album's like for the world kind of would be a way I'd describe it. And I just, the mu- the musical order, yes, I-, I know we keep doing this. It's not that the synths weren't always a new order. They always were, but they're just, they're produced and they're stacked just so different in this album compared to the other ones that they yeah. seem like a completely different band. And like, I just, I, it's just such a different type of dance music. It's much more like in the club party music than the other music, which I felt was still very much rooted to like that post-punk sound. Hmm. This seems very detached from post-punk to me and much more tied into like modern dance music and what would be coming in the 90s with like techno and you know acid stuff and house and all that stuff yeah so to me yeah, i guess least. even the cover kind of evokes that in some ways it's a bit more psychedelic or trippier or i don't know like if leaning into that rave maybe 
upcoming. I feel like they took a bar. shit ton of drugs before this out. <laughs> they probably were taking a lot, but they were taking like GHB type drugs for this, yeah. right? As opposed to maybe what they were taking before. Like this doesn't feel like a heroin album, right? Like the the yeah. Joy Division and early New Order. Dude, this feels like a club drugs album. Yeah. So I, I mean that that all being said, I I enjoyed the album. I didn't recognize any of the tracks off of it. It's amazing how I think I know we've talked about New Order before, but I think a lot of the songs I know are their singles, and we haven't put the those haven't really been on the albums that we've talked about. So I wasn't really familiar with this one. Um, you know, last week we talked about True Faith, which I had heard before, I think, and um, I don't know. I feel like that that song in some ways sounds similar to this to me but i had to jump in here because i just i'm like am i going nuts in re so i'm reading the review the review of this album is the ecstasy fueled house music that influences new orders technique okay so i'm not nuts like other people heard what i was hearing because i was starting to think i was going insane with a little bit of what i was hearing there so i'm not saying i'm right but i'm like all right at least other people are hearing this too yeah. marked a a marked departure from their previous sound is the second lyric in here okay second line excuse me so all right i'll back okay. up for a second but how did okay well anyway. maybe then i need to listen to their previous album in this back to back to to pick up on that because i didn't hear that and uh but yeah this is enjoy enjoyable i didn't have anything really new to add like matt said i think matt's kind of the highest on new order but i i also have kind of always enjoyed their sound and always responded to the the way they use their synths and i haven't really ever found them clinical and probably on more listens of this album i would hopefully pick up on what john's talking about next to see in 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 the agony and all of that and uh uh so yeah thumbs up for me new order does it again can i read this review because i'm laughing because it literally so here's the review the the one paragraph review from all music just not saying i'm right but i just yeah. i have to so tastes and sounds were changing in the late 80s which prompted new orders most startling transformation yet from moody dance rockers to moody acid house techno mavens after the band booked a studio on the island hotspot of ibiza apparently not knowing it was the center of the burgeoning house music craze <laughs> new orders instincts for blending rock and contemporary dance resulted in another superb lp Technique was the group's most striking production job, with the single Fine Time being the most extroverted dance track in the band's catalog. Opening the record is a portrait of a group unrecognizable from its origin or other albums, delivering lascivious and extroverted come-ons amid pounding beats. It appeared that the dance and the synthesizers had fully taken over from the guitar and bass layering of the early albums. That's where it ends. I'm like, okay, fucking at least someone else, I think, heard what I heard right here, because I was like, this is... It's really weird to me because it seems like I, I never in a million years wouldn't have thought that you guys wouldn't have heard this completely differently. So once again, I not hear saying the, I'm right, I, it's but, yeah. more of a I, well, it's more of a there is more of like a dance element, but I, I don't think a marked departure. I, I take issue with that. I, I think that that's a that's a it's like that makes it sound like they just decided to totally scrap everything that they were doing and then like go in a totally different genre. And so let a, me give a, you an example. So like on round and round, okay, where do you hear the guitars that were all over the other New Order albums? Because that is literally I, first of like all, I take all issue, over I take issue bass. with the fact, I take issue with the assumption that there's guitars all over any of the New Order albums that we've covered already. I don't think that's true. I, so I think it, there's guitars yeah. in, in there. Life, I think there's... In low think, life, you didn't hear the guitars all over that I heard that guitars, album. but I don't. But I, but it, there's there's still 
to me, they've always been a synth-based band. Like, there's guitars and bass that complement it, but I don't see, I don't hear them as being guitars all over. There's there's songs that have more guitars than others, but well, I like, don't think that like it's that like there's songs like that Elegia, right from Low Life, that's all synth. So like they had songs that were like that, but and they had plenty of dance songs that were happening before. This might be a little bit more up, like a like a faster beat, like a more upbeat thing. But I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I mean, I have to, maybe I have to go back and listen to the other ones. But I don't remember them being like, "Man, this is a guitar-driven band." I've never right. thought that in about fair, New Order. In fairness, I probably it's not that it was a guitar-driven. That's fair point, Matt. Well, that's I, I that's what we're talking that. about, though. I like, think that, I'm just that's... thinking of like, like, but I, I'll cede you that point. But I also think you're very much underplaying the market change in. The production and the use of synths and maybe and, this, and that's like, and so maybe different. i need to go back and listen to the other ones and like back to back to back and maybe i would see it a little bit differently but yeah. i don't know I, I guess i'm just saying i would be surprised if i went back and i was like wow this is a diff this is a step in a different direction now there's a there's some advancement but it doesn't but there's they're still to me they're occupying a very similar lane than they were before and there's yeah. some deviation there but i like I, I don't know. It's just different ways that we're hearing it. I just, to me, it's not this stark difference. I've loved all of their records that I still feel like, like that. Yes. Like, let me give you an example. Age of consent from power, corruption and lies. Yeah. You're telling me they're not a guitar band. Okay. But you know, that song, it starts off with a guitar line right off the Like it's literally a guitar riff from the beginning and the synths are flowing. But so like you said, I need to like, listen like that right off the bat. First song on the first new order album we covered is a completely different sound than what this is. So like, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like that is a guitar song. All the way is the song that Josh was talking about that. That's the same guitars. It's, it's actually the bass is if I'm not mistaken. That's Peter. That's Peter Hook's bass played up at played high on the fret. And that's a similar kind of thing that's happening in a song like All the Way, which is the song that Josh is like, that's not, and, and I thought too, and actually Sherry said that today, is this, is this the cure? That it's got a very cure-like kind of sound yeah. to it. So it's there too. And yeah. this record. I think it's just, I think it, it, it's just, they're doing different drugs. It's all drugs. <laughs> they're, just, they're just doing different drugs. So now this it sounds different as a result. I don't know. I think, I think we're splitting hairs. I, I'm glad you heard it differently, John, and, and you like New Order now. But like, I, well, I wouldn't I say I like, like their entire catalog. I like this album quite I'm a bit. I have to yeah. go back and listen to them back to back in order to pick up on that. Because I don't even think of it. Honestly, I don't even think of a New Order band as like a guitar band. I can't. I couldn't tell you. Like, well, the I wouldn't say parts. they're. Well, yeah, we're we're losing the lead you know? a little because I don't think of them as a guitar band. But it's just I know. I, I know think we're either going to hear one. I. I'm not going to tell you to go back and listen to them. And I'm not even going to say that in going back and listening to them, you're even going to necessarily hear it the way I do, nor would I want you to just force like my opinion on you. Um, but I just, I mean, it was so obvious to me. And then I went back and listened later just to check myself. And it's like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah, this well, is I definitely go back. Band. I could definitely go back and listen to those other records. I love new order, you know? So it's not like, and so it's like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I need to give it another I mean, shot. Especially power, corruption and lies. It's a very different album than that one. Hmm. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say so. I mean, they're coming off, coming off uh, the death of the other guy everything so <laughs> but um, um ian curtis yeah. yes ian curtis thank you and mm-hmm. uh so yeah I, I mean i think there's definitely an evolution they're a band that's been that we've covered the entire 80s so 
right? From the from eighty, in fact, to eighty nine, <laughs> they've trained. Well, uh, their first album was we did not cover. It's from eighty one. It's called Movement. Okay. But then we did Power Corruption Lies eighty three. Low Life was eighty five, and this is eighty nine. And we did. Uh, a track there was eighty six. Brotherhood was in eighty six. There was an album that we did not cover that was in between. And we did so. a track from the eighty seven album, right? Yes. In our Buzz Clip journey as right. well. So well, that, yeah, well substance, listeners, yeah. weigh in. Either take a side on our debate or tell us why we're both right or both wrong and give us your take. Like how do you <laughs> Especially if you're a, a, a New Order fan or um, someone who loves them, like, tell us where you stand. Like, how should we couch this album since it's the most spirited debate we've had in a while on an album? <laughs> yes. So we're agreeing with each other too much this album, this episode, <laughs> so we need to go a different direction. What so. drugs go best with this album? Let me know. I think there's only one answer to that, and it's clearly <laughs> like ecstasy. Like, can we all agree on that, that this is the New Order's ecstasy album? Because I think that's yeah. pretty clear. Yeah. Matt, will you cede that point to me that this is the XTC album of New Order? I would, this is more of a Ludes album for Although me. Although they did have a song called Ecstasy on Power Corruption and Lies, so that's yeah. so maybe yeah. Okay. I, I will I will say I think this is more I think it's probably a faster, like more up tempo, upbeat type record than maybe the previous ones, but yeah. to when I hear them I, at the core, I'm hearing there's more similarities than there are differences, I guess is my that's my the the the, the abridged version of my that's take. That's what I'm saying too. I think I was just triggered by the fact that you said all of these kind of could stand together. And I'm like, these two do not all blend together for me. This one yeah. blends very differently. So, yeah. So that was, I think, what triggered me at the beginning. So, yeah. Good stuff. And then it was one of those things you said at the beginning. I'm like, I'd like to counter this point, but I want to be polite to Matt. But then it kept going longer. And I'm like, all right, I need Matt to stop so I can come in and challenge this narrative. So I think I got more fired up. So, yeah. Um, okay. And that takes us to another return act for us. Guys, one Mr. Lou Reed. He's Lou Reed. back. Mm-hmm. He is He's back. back. I thought he was gone. Time, I didn't think we were going to. I was surprised to see this last week. For the first time since week. 74, right? Was that when Transformer came to us? Uh, tra- no, no, we well, did we Berlin. Berlin. Yeah. Oh, we did Berlin too. That's right. In Transformer was 72. Berlin was 73. And now we're at 89. Wow. There was other wow. stuff in between. I say early 80s. Wrong. That. Wow. That, yeah. Berlin was 73? Berlin was 73. Jeez. Wow. I felt like it was much later in the seven. Okay. Time wow. nope. so, flat circle. Yep. So 16 years between <laughs> Berlin and this. Yeah. Okay. It's been a while, Lou Reed. I thought we were done. So anyway, uh, New York by Lou Reed comes in at number 113 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums. Number 10 in 1989. Number 754 of all time. It's Lou Reed's third highest record uh, on Best Ever Albums behind seven, just the two we just talked about, Berlin and Transformer. Uh, I don't. I didn't see it on Rolling Stone's list, and Rolling St- and uh, Lou Reed is ranked number 105 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. Well, God, Lou Reed can come back into my life whenever he wants because I really <laughs> like this album quite a bit. This album was perfectly named because this album is the physical manifestation of like 1989 New York. Like, yeah, like the New York <laughs> that I remember as a kid that was still dangerous, you know, and also alluring. Even the nine-year-old me was like, well, this place is interesting, you know, so I can only imagine what it would have been like to be young in this era or in the case Lou Reed, somebody like growing old at New York and like recognizing it as something they love, but also grotesque from the eyes of like, what would Lou Reed be at this point? Like in his forties at this point, mm-hmm. is he so oh, around yes. there? So yeah, he's looking at all New right, York. Look, all right, let me look this up. He was, he was yeah. born in 1942. So, so he, he would have been, so he, he would have been, been 89, 47, so 47, yeah, 47. So like late forties. And yep. so he's looking at like late eighties, New York, famously a pretty rough place. Um, 
and grimy, right? And this whole—I mean, this goes into the Velvet Underground themes, right? You've mm-hmm. got you've got drugs, you've got transvestites, you've got random flashes of violence, you've got elements of culture and despair, you've got bizarre levels of romanticism at times for traditional romantic tropes, but also um, unusual things. That are there. There's a there's a lot of like issue songs on this album too. We're talking about the environment on this album. Broken we're dreams. T- we're t- yeah, for, well, broke, that's not so much an issue as a theme, right? That's in there. But I'm talking like political there's like corruption. there's there's hard yeah things about political corruption and the environment. Um, Christmas in February is sort of like about commercialism along the way um, with a send it to like agent orange and sort of like the the vietnam con- i but i really i i really enjoy lou reed's take on things um yeah. i like the lyrics on this album i like that he kept me on the toes and this is both like a love letter and a warning about new york at the same time which when you think about it it's kind of what people who love new york like about new york right that it's both most flawed but also nothing else is like it you know what i mean it's like it's like dating a wild fuck up, but they also are really exciting and, you know, their highs just seduce you. So you're willing to overlook the like chaos that is the rest of their life and you kind of ride it out. You know, that's that's a little bit thematically like how Lou Reed produces New York. But this this very much felt like a Velvet Underground album because there's a lot of pop sensibility to this. There's a lot of looking back to that 50s and 60s sound that was all over the Velvet Underground albums especially like the first one and then the the second self-titled album i felt like it shared quite a bit yeah and thematically it's almost quintessentially stereotypically lou reed like an observer's view of new york city uh in that sense um you know we've seen multiple people taking the observer's view i think probably the guy that comes to mind immediately is like tom waits the difference is that lou reed i feel like he has a much more inviting voice and traditional song structure so he kind of delivers a little bit of what tom waits does but more a much more it's not as abstract right like he's writing more directly and he's personally more man too. on the street i feel man like. more <laughs> and it's also like he doesn't feel the need to get bogged down into like metaphor and you know euphemism he's kind of more a straight talker i would yeah. say it's, it's kind theatrical of like tom waits is all about the theatrical you know well, he's in his own of stuff yeah in his own way i also found but i love the song good evening mr Waldheim." but yeah. i also thought it was funny like all the references he talked and how much a lot of his um it's basically but that song is basically him talking to like jesse jackson and and i i think i've talked about it this is there's that famous thing where like jesse jackson like called new york city a, a slur for jewish people you know oh, and geez. kind of like it sunk his it sunk his thing he described in new york and he had to kind of do the apology tour you know afterwards and this song is clearly sort of poking fun at that but also with taking it a little bit personally you know what i mean because you know uh, lou reed himself is jewish right so it's kind of like wait a second like you know we're supposed to be in this together, right? As kind of like people on common ground, you know, and like fighting the oppression, but now we're sort of, you know, and, and a lot, it's pretty direct, you know what I mean? He's kind of saying like, do I have to, um, like there's the one line, he's like, if I ran for president and was a member of the Klan, wouldn't you call me on it the way like I call you <laughs> yeah. on Louis Farrakhan? I'm like, woo, this is a little bit stiff right here. So, uh, you know, and probably, you know, even though Lou Reed has clear liberal sensibilities, he doesn't have sacred cows either. So he's willing to expand it out. 
along the way. Busload of Faith was another song that I really enjoyed on this album um, because it's kind of like Lou Reed talking about like televangelists and, you know, phony religion. He kind of toys with the idea of having children on beginning of a great adventure. A song that made me laugh is someone who famously does not necessarily want children myself, but like everybody you entertain things at different times. But I felt like to some degree Lou Reed was <laughs> like speaking for me. I thought you'd find that song too funny too, Josh, yeah. lyrically. Yeah, I because did. yeah, even his choice of like writing it as like a blues song kind of <laughs> like you yeah, know, it's like, like a yeah. nightclub number about having a kid. Yes, it's I, I and that's also how it's he's a, beat, he's a the, beatnik. It's like a beatnik yeah. Yeah, kind of song. It's like yeah. beatnik, but but like in a funny way. It's like yeah, it's like a little me to fill up their shoes with my dreams and stuff like that. And kind of like um, he says, I think he says that when like I'd, I'd homeschool them to keep them from the crowd, but then like making them isolate it wouldn't be the best idea either. So who the hell knows what to do? It's the beginning of a great adventure. So um, I, I also the other line I loved was he said. Uh, why stop at one? I might have ten. A regular brood. I'll breed a little liberal army in the woods, just like those redneck lunatics I see at the local bar. So like he's, he's just there's times where he like outwardly made me laugh, you know. And so you know, when combined with the pop sensibilities, that the other thing I love about Lou Reed is he can go and kind of do these songs that are sort of loose sketches, like what Tom Waits does. Then he can write this incredible pop like structured song where you're like Jesus, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like where the hell? It's like. It's like the it's like what he did with the Velvet Underground, where like Sunday morning would come out, and you're like, God, this is like a perfect pop song, and then the next song would be like more deconstructed or drug fueled, and it's like this little pocket of beauty mixed with these other more jagged things. Um, Lou Reed just kind of speaks to me lyrically mm-hmm. and vibe wise. So I just I've loved all Lou Reed albums. I remember Berlin being incredibly depressing. Uh, this is <laughs> this that, is yeah. more lighthearted, and uh, Transformer, of course, is. I thought it was like him basically doing like a Bowie album and experimenting and kind of reinventing himself. And I think famously, there's almost no band I came around to more than the Velvet Under. I even came around to White Light, White Heat, guys, which I famously on the earlier episodes did not love. But in listening to it in the context, it's like, gosh, that might be one if I could have a mulligan of a take I had. That might be the one I'd call in that mulligan for because I've really come to like that album on re-listens. And I kind of wish I'd listened to it... um, more often before giving my take so i'll retcon that but uh yeah this one gets strong thumbs up for me this might be my album of the week i like there's a lot of albums i like this week but this one might be my favorite of all of them and yeah sign me up for the lou reed i'm buying what he's selling yeah yeah it's amazing how he he really hasn't lost a step from the from the last albums that we that we talked about uh i i'm with you i really responded to him i'm i am charmed by his uh, and impressed by his ability to his lyrical ability he really is kind of like a storyteller slash poet first it seems like almost um, but I agree the songs that he creates around them the music that he creates around this the lyrics um, just are really I don't know there's something so simple about them in some ways but they are always appealing um, and he he has such a way to evoke imagery in his songs and this it was no exception i I, like he's my bruce springsteen and tom waits in many ways (laughs) like that's how i describe he's he's the john version of those what he uh, those other people are for other people yeah he's got a he's got a you know a cynical point of view uh with some dark humor mixed in which is kind of really my bag and 
terms of my worldview. And, <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> and uh, mine too, to an extent. Yeah. He um, uh, he still throws in some like good guitar solos and and guitar work on here. Uh, Dirty Boulevard has such kind of a simple repeating guitar chord that that um, really works. It, it reminded me of almost like a Tom Petty song in some ways, um, akin to that. But yeah, the hallmarks are are just kind of the little vignettes that he writes about or the ideas, you know, each song or a lot of these songs have themes like John pointed out and, and um, they're just really effective. (laughs) Dirty Boulevard's like a, like a bizarro universe, Billy Joel song in some ways, because he's writing kind of about the same desperation and stuff that Billy Joel is, but like, Instead of like working at the piano bar and moving up in the world, like he's just like, I just want to get away from this damn dirty boulevard and go yeah. anywhere else. So, yeah. And he he just has a really for uh, for an entire, which is clearly an entire album about New York or probably New York City specifically. It um, he just writes about so many different facets, and he's able to kind of as a whole capture this feeling or this view of of a time and place and it's just really impressive to me. And he's so singular in that way. There's not many artists that we've, that we've discussed that can kind of keep this poignant look or kind of acid tongue to, to it. And um, yeah, I continue to, to be impressed by him. I mean, he probably wrote or had a bunch of albums in between Berlin and this one. And I know he kind of always experiments and pushes the boundaries and, um, does different things, but this is um, just as good as those other albums that we talked about. Yeah, I'm t- I was just I was just counting how many oh, yeah. he had in between. So he had like in one, two, three, uh, yeah, at least three or four in between. So he, I mean, he's still doing stuff. So like maybe he did fall off with some of those records. I, I don't know. I haven't listened to them, but I. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I love this record. This was, uh, you know, this kind of is brings you back. This does not sound like really anything that we've been covering recently. Right. And, you know, I think, and I think I mentioned in our last segment about New Order and Joy Division being one of my favorite, you know, not finds necessarily, but just it finds in the sense of like, wow, just discovering this artist and being really, you know, taken in by them. And I would say that's true of Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground as well. This is just, um, it's a, it's a great, just great. It's a rock and roll record, right? It's an old, it's, it's just a straight up, mostly rock and roll record, throwing in some other aspects of like Americana. There's some country in here too. Yeah. No sense you know. though, right? <laughs> that's the departure. No, yeah, yeah, um, you know, and that, like we said, that song, you know, there's like that beatnik, you know, beginning of a great adventure kind of, you know, he's like, yeah, it's synth is um, too try hard, you know what I mean? There's always <laughs> yeah. an element of Lou Reed in the old thing, and it's like you're not gonna try hard, like go in the studio and pump out synths. So I think yeah, it's almost like it's almost like the he just it this was just kind of thrown together. Like it's a very it's very simple, like uh, musically anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but it's but it's really effective. There's some just great straw man's an awesome song. That's just like the powerful guitar, you know, chords that are just, you know, nothing nothing fancy, just really well done, you know, guitar music. And that's one of the few songs he actually sings on. I mean, a lot of this is kind of like just him speaking over the music, <laughs> right. you know. But he's yeah. got such a cool voice. 
and and a lot of it is tongue in cheek stuff. I mean, for even for non lyrics guys, I mean, his voice is is very much up front, so it's easy to pinpoint like you know what he's talking about. Oh, Americans just you know they'll 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 just go shit in a river, or dump battery acid and like in in the stream, you know stuff like that. Just it makes you laugh, right? Even if you haven't been paying attention, he just throws throws that lie to there and you start laughing because well, you know somewhat because he's, he's kind of true too. <laughs> so it's like it's cynical and oh a sure too close, yeah right. You know, and that's what the you know it, it it's 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 pretty a lot of the stuff is kind of straightforward and he he also he, was was always nihilistic and a lot of these songs are not nihilistic they're actually like looking out for the world and having an opinion which is and, very unlu read and being either to. sad or angry about it you know um or, or just disappointed so yeah whereas before it was always like a like what can you do <laughs> you know, the world's a difficult place it doesn't seem yeah, like 47 year old lou reads is okay with that he's reflecting on it a little bit differently but um but yeah he's just and just the album cover. He's just he's cool, right? Like Lou Reed is the definitive like cool, cool yeah. <laughs> artist, right? Like the guy that just he looks cool. He doesn't care like what you think. He's gonna be controversial. He's gonna put out really cool songs, and he's gonna you know um, be a, you know a, a really influential artist. And he's not gonna be too caught up in himself. He doesn't take him, you know, he, he doesn't. He, He's kind of just out there doing his own thing, a true an artist's artist, right? I mean, that's kind of like a quintessential well, aspect of. of I'm reading a, a Village Voice review of this album now because I purposely didn't read stuff. I think they have a really good line if that kind of goes into what you said, Matt, mm -hmm. which is like his solo career was about the choice between his faith in rock and roll primitivism, and contradictorily, his high art aspirations, which yeah. I think is an interesting way to put it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, but this was just, it was, it was somewhat refreshing, you know, not that I've been upset with the music that we've covered already, but this is just, it's a, to me, this is mostly like sonically, it's kind of like a stripped down, mostly rock and roll record with, you know, some, some, some other elements sprinkled in there, but just really a great album that I, this is, I mean, as opposed to hats by the blue Nile, this is like a record I think I could put on at any time in any, <laughs> any situation, you know, it's just, yep. Well, I, I love Lou Reed, and it's different than his last two that we covered, right? Like, you mentioned Berlin. That was, like, that was really, that was, like, what's it? It was the story of, like, his wife killing herself in the bathtub and the, something, yeah. the kids being taken away. Well, it was and just like the, the theme was, like, despair. You know, it was, screaming. like, sketches of despair. Yeah, like, the screaming of the kids as they were being ripped from their father's hand. Like, you know what I mean? Like, being taken away by child protective, certain, like, and just, what the? And you're right. And, yeah, and Transformers kind of, it's, it's yeah, him being a little bit more Bowie and, and, but this is just to me. This is a rock and roll record. So, uh, big thumbs up. I, I knew nothing of this album or any of the songs, and uh, just yeah, Lou Reed hits again. I feel like some of these lyrics too just are so contemporary and can still apply today. <laughs> I was reading the Strawman oh, sure. lyrics, and that could be written, you know, about this time as opposed to '89. Mm. So I think that's one of the great things about him too is that that. They just uh, are, he's always relevant. It seems like. Yeah, and we should mention that like the that last track, Dime Store um, Mystery, uh, Dime Store Mysteries about Andy Warhol, pretty clearly, uh, like okay. along the way. Yeah, like I I I'm reading it now, but at the time when I watched it or I listened to it for the first time too, it was pretty clear there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but yeah, this one, um, like I, I really liked. I just I. I almost want to kind of do a deep dive into what Lou Reed did in between to see if like it was a return to form or if there's 
hidden gems in there that I just have to like in some ways his catalog is a little bit like Neil Young to me and that there's these things everybody knows but then I get the feeling that there's all of this other stuff he's done because he's very prolific that might also speak to me um and it's just funny because you like Lou Reed always existed right but even the, yeah. the even in our journey right it's like the Velvet yeah. Underground and these two albums and then 15 years and then he's back again you know what yeah. I mean and it's kind of it's it's, yeah, it's like Neil Young, Bob Dylan. There's a couple Tom Waits, right? There's a couple of these people that are like probably Bruce Springsteen, right? That like keep showing mm -hmm. up from time to time when they release mm -hmm. albums. So, and, so uh, just for context here, John. So this was his uh, rock and roll was uh, sorry street. Uh, gosh, where'd it go? Street Cantos. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Where'd New York go? I was trying to find out what record, what number it is. Oh, there it is. Okay, so it's his 15th solo album. So between Berlin, which was 73, and this one, there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 albums that he did in between. So that's how much we Thanks. missed of Lou Reed. Prolific. Yeah. Wow. And he's got a total of 20 studio albums, solo, solo Lou Reed albums, and the last one was in 2007 called Hudson River Wind Meditations. So he's got lots of stuff that we haven't covered. So if you're gonna, if you want to go back, you're, that's you're gonna be covering a lot of stuff, well, which I'll is have okay. Some time here and there. You know? Yeah, I was about to say it's not like I'm uh, intimidated by that idea because pretty much everything we've done by him I've liked. So it's not like I'm like, oh boy, I had to burden myself with this guy who's like had seven pieces of albums that we've done and i've liked all seven of them so yeah and a lot of yeah. these records he was doing like back to back like 74 75 75 76 78 79 so he was just boom 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 mm -hmm. boom you know um so yeah i bet you i bet you there's some really cool stuff in there i bet you there's some stuff that were that you might not find all that great but that's okay. the type of, you're right. He's the type of artist like the Neil Young, like the Dylan. I'm going to try this. I'm going to do an album that's focused on that. And, you know, it was probably right for him at the time, but I, I would venture to guess it didn't always hit. He's intriguing enough to me that even if he missed, I'd forgive him because there's oh, absolutely. enough with him. You know, absolutely. there's a certain artist like that where it's like, I'm willing to afford you stuff that doesn't connect with me because you've done so much stuff I do like. Well, and, that's, that's, yeah. I think that's one of my favorite things that artists can do is just like, I'm just going to try something. And even if it sucks, like whatever, then I'm going to try something different after that, you know? So, and, and, and like he, even if some of the stuff that came in between wasn't that great, he clearly came back with this record, you know, so he still had it in him much like, you know, Neil Young had great later records. And so did Dylan Springsteen, all these, you know, people that have, you know, bad albums can still come back and make great albums, and that's what makes them great artists. Yeah, it seems like reading some of the descriptions of these 80s albums, some of them are pretty good, <laughs> so, or sound intriguing at least, so I wonder. I bet you they're all interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you he I'll, doesn't have a boring album. I'm going to bookmark them in uh, Spotify, and from time to time I'm going to check in. Right, I, I might even, I have that book, um, I have an all-music guide of albums, and they kind of, they they uh, have the ones that are three stars and up in it. So I might start with the ones they're identifying as three stars and up and go from there. So I'll report yeah. back if I ever do that deep dive. Nice. So, yeah, but strong thumbs up for me. Yeah, I yeah. enjoyed thumbs it. Thumbs up for me too. Mm -hmm. And that takes us to the end of our journey this evening, guys. We are rapidly approaching the end of the season. Um, how many total episodes do we have left, guys? I know we have one more cold list and hot take. And do we have four so regular one cold listen, and then uh, one, two, three regular episodes, and then the final wow. show. Yep. 
So, so five more four, episodes. Five more episodes, four of which will cover content, and one is sort of like a wrap-up. Wrap up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Culmination. So, and then it will be the 90s. So what, what are we covering next week? It's a regular episode next week, Matt. What are we covering? Yeah, we're covering uh, Galaxy 500 with okay. their album On Fire. John will be covering that That's album. Me. Okay. I've been on a streak recently of like the acts that are sort of the more like uh, obscure radar acts. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I don't know them. Uh, Josh is covering the Indigo Girls with their self-titled record from 1989. And I'm going to be covering Madonna. Not the first time we've covered Madonna, but the first this is the first bio we're getting on her. So I'm oh, going to yeah. have my work cut out for me. Um, <laughs> what did album, she ever do? <laughs> yeah, not too much. Like a Prayer from '89. So there's several albums before this. So she was a massive, massive star when this. A when relatively this album came non-controversial out, so, yeah. album that Like a Prayer. There's nothing on that. Nothing that really there that we're gonna. Needle, I'm gonna yeah. yeah I, mm-hmm. Can we? Can we get? Can, can you give me two weeks to do the research on this, fellas? <laughs> um, yeah, and then we've got a couple of. Uh, we're going to go back to the. Um, what do you call it? The buzz clips. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to have two of those. Mm. First one I know. Second one I don't know. So this is going to okay. be Rain in the Summertime by the band called The Alarm. I know that song. You do? I do. And then, and then Peekaboo by Susie and the Banshees. I don't know that song. Oh, I, I know that one. Know that was that You know yeah. that. That was on Beavis and do Butthead. I? Oh, was it? Okay, maybe. Yeah, then maybe I do. Which, by the way, the new season of Beavis um, and Butthead is wonderful, by the way. That's for those of the movie listening. Check that out. It's made me laugh a lot. So, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm seeing Indigo Girls perform this month at the end of this month. So. Oh, really? Josh, you should interview them for the for the <laughs> yeah. podcast. Coming stacks. Man on the street. <laughs> I, I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert for your bio, Josh. While we may like the album, I don't know how much we share in common with life narrative with the Indigo Girls, but doesn't mean they wouldn't be great give me interview a press guests pass. for us. <laughs> So yeah, see if see if you could talk them onto the show. Yeah, Sounds we could talk good. about intersectionality and all kinds of different stuff that would be, you know, that album. That album is ranked. That Indigo Girls album, I believe, if this is saying it correctly, is ranked three thousand five hundred and sixty-two in the nineteen eighties. So but I believe not, it is on the Rolling the Stone top five hundred. So, mm-hmm. so there you go. All right, well, that's a good time to end, guys. I think so. For Matt and Josh, this is John. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Combing the Stacks can be found on 13 different platforms. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at CombingThe and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.